What is up, my fellow listeners? Welcome to episode 114 of No One's Ready for Wrestling. And I'm recording this on Thursday, surprisingly. Usually I record it on Friday, but, uh, because Friday I'm going to be streaming, so. And right after SmackDown, I'm going to finish up the recording and get some of the other news that I missed that I could talk about. So that's what's going on right now. It, this is a rarity. I'm probably going to do it again because my birthday is on September 24th. And that is also on a Friday. So I'm going to have Friday time for me. And I got plans for that uh, September 24th. So you might see that again on September 23rd. So just want to give you all the quick heads up on why I'm doing this a little bit early. But anyway, I welcome you to this latest episode. I am the one and only Phoenix that rises from the ashes. It's yeah, bye. Shino D. Phoenix. And I want to thank y'all so much for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. Uh, not much to go over. But there's a lot of things that got, that's getting me pumped for next week. Blood and guts. I'm looking forward to that. We got NXT, which I'm always excited for. They put on a good show uh, this week. Um... And for me to just call out WWE, as always, because I did a rant on while I was streaming, and I just let my voice be heard, and if, about the, uh, the current state of WWE, and I think it was just, I had to do it on stream, it felt really good. Um, lots to talk today, just give my thoughts on a lot of things that happened, But what I really want for you guys is to leave a positive feedback for this podcast as it really helps out the show. And it makes my confidence grow even more. So, just want want you to to show support to uh, this show. Um, Now, before we get into the usual introductions, I have been on a consistent basis when it comes to streaming. Just want to throw this out there. If If you are... If you guys are a gamer and you love to see me stream, like, you know what? We're just doing the usual social media introductions. Um, Make sure you guys follow me on Twitch. We're starting with Twitch first because I got to show love to my Twitch channel. Um, I'm showing love because I care about my channel. It's really good. If you love video games as much as I do, follow me, Shino Phoenix. I am entertaining as hell. I'm... Could be over the top, especially on Fall Guys Wednesday, which is one of my best streams I've ever done, and I'm very proud of it. Like, I'm very, very proud of how that stream uh, went. And the replay is up, and you can watch it if you want to, and watch me make a fool, well, watch me be awesome in this game while I overreact. (laughs) So, show love to my Twitch channel. I really appreciate you guys. Um... Follow me on Twitter at ShinoDPhoenix. I do live tweet for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite. And sometimes I like to let people know when I go live on Twitch. So, so, so that's one thing. I also, on a rare occasion, live tweet for Impact, um, NXT UK, and, um, and uh, New Japan. So... You can find me on Twitter. I like meeting new people. Making new friends is my habit. Same thing with Twitch as well. I made a ton of new friends down there. Really great stuff. So, show love to my Twitter, Phoenix. 
like my like the Facebook page, No One's Ready for Wrestling. That way you guys could uh, get updates on when I'm, if there's an update on what's going on with the recording or if something happened that the show will be put on hold. So um, that way you guys can stay up to date. And I also post the episodes on there. Follow me on Instagram, Cool Man Sip. That is my personal one. You can see me talk about video games, mostly that. And on occasions, you'll hear me talk about pro wrestling. So show love to my Instagram if you have not followed me. It's a cool Amon a sip. That's CYP, by the way. And to the surprise of everyone, I have a TikTok. But I only use that for clips. I only use it for clips of my Twitch channel. So if you want to see what I do on... If you want to see the clips, you can follow me on TikTok. And literally, I'm pulling up my TikTok right now as we speak. It's Shino D Phoenix. It's not that hard. And I'm seeing a lot of likes, which... Well, I'm seeing some likes, which is very good. And I don't use TikTok just to... Like, I don't do TikTok just to do a dance trend. I just use it because it's a gamer thing. Like, just, that's how I use TikTok. I know people use TikTok differently, but I'm giving it a shot. I'm just using it for uh, clips and shit. So, without all that introduction aside, let's get on with the story. And the big story for AEW is that there's been talks, like there was rumors going on in the IWC that Dynamite might move uh, to a different day because Turner scored... Turner Sports scored a seven-year deal with the NHL. Now, <clears throat> Turner Sports has scored a seven-year deal worth a reported $225 million per season to broadcast the NHL. Now, this is according to Sean Shapiro and Richard Desich, if I pronounced it right, of The Athletics who note that Turner scored the contract after NBC pulled out a negotiation ending their 16-year relationship between the network and the Hockey League. Now, apparently, AEW Dynamite could be impacted by this. Wednesdays is a big night for the NHL, and the media rights package NBC has been bidding for involved Wednesday games leading to reports that this was the reason behind NXT's move to Tuesday, though Nick Khan disputed that. So, this means Turner has an interesting decision on his hands, given it already has Dynamite going out on TNT and that slide. Now, Turner is paying considerably more for NHL coverage than AEW which costs the network around $43.75 million a year. Now, um, yeah, a year through the four-year, $175 million deal signed in January of 2020. Now, working in AEW's favor is that Dynamite typically does better in the 18-49 ratings, the demographics, than NHL games, and Turner places high value on younger demographics. On the other hand, advertisers tend to view hockey more favorably than wrestling, which look, I'm not a, I'm not a hockey guy. I'm being completely honest. Hockey is not my thing. It's not my sport. 
Um, but I know there's some people out there who listen to my podcast that loves hockey. So, I mean, that's for you. By all means, it's for you. AEW Dynamite benefited, like both AEW and NXT benefited more now that they're on separate nights. And AEW, they're on the million uh, for on the viewership. NXT, they're on the 800,000. They just dropped 745,000. That's where they're at right now. Big down. Big down. I hope they can pick it back up because um, that show was mostly build, 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 build towards matches for next week. That's what uh, I think is happening. But here's the current situation. Dave Meltzer, he chimed in and discussed the current situation with the NHL move to Turner Networks. Now, TNT and TBS will host those games, but it's unknown if it will cause a change for AEW Dynamite's Wednesday night spot. Now, it was expected, it was explained that Dynamite would probably move to Fridays if they have to, but that wouldn't be ideal. They would be going against SmackDown on Fox, which has a much larger reach, and they will get clobbered by them. If they move to Friday, if they move to Monday, Raw and SmackDown, despite Raw's garbageness, and SmackDown is usually hit or miss, AEW Dynamite will get clobbered. I don't give a damn if it's a better show than both of them, but they will get clobbered. Plain and simple. I think Thursday would be a great spot for them, and it's going to suck for Impact, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but this is what Meltzer said, for TNT to move AEW, and the problem is, and this is why it probably won't be happening, because I don't see it happening, is your choices would be Monday night and Friday night, and it would probably be Friday night, because Tony Khan was very adamant about not running on Monday night, because he doesn't want to go against the NFL three months of the year. And not only that, you don't want to go up against Monday Night Raw. Um, even though their show sucks. There's no life on this show. And um, more, than actually, more than that, actually, Friday would be going back to splitting the audience and you're on a much weaker channel than Fox. Which is true. Now, Tony Khan actually addressed the situation on Busted Open Radio, if I'm correct. Yep. This is what he said. He pretty much said, I know Wednesday night is our slot and our home. I'm thrilled with our partnership with TNT. It's the lifeblood of our company and our primary revenue source. It's the way most fans get exposed to AEW and see our shows. Every Wednesday that we do Dynamite, for a lot of wrestling fans, it's really important night of the week. And <clears throat> trying to finish reading until the site wants to crash on me. So he continues on by saying, he said, I want everyone rest assured that they're not going to have to worry about these kind of major, uh, we have a contract with over two and a half years left for Wednesday nights in this slot. If there was ever an opportunity to move or a deal to be had, I would consider it. If we did something, it would have to be a really good deal for AEW and make sense for us. As it stands right now, that is the spot we're in. 
if we move, I would certainly consider a deal if there was something in for AEW. So, long story short, long story short, you don't need to worry. They're not moving. They're going to stay in their spot. Like, just, that's pretty much me trying to translate what Tony Khan is saying. No need to worry. It's not the end of the line. It's not the end of the road on AEW on Wednesday night. Like, come on. Come on, but... Turner Sports getting the right, and this is the thing that surprised. Now, originally, I thought USA Network was going to get it, but they, I, from what I heard, they were going to get one hundred million dollars per year. And Turner Sports like, let me just throw a bazooka amount of money for you guys that you can't refuse, and the they chose Turner Sports and. It, like, NXT moving to Tuesday wasn't because of, wasn't because of the, um, NHL deal. It was moving to Tuesday, in my honest opinion, I feel like it was moving to Tuesday because they feel like they need more, they need to be better in the ratings. And they chose Tuesday as a slot because if you're going to pose against another wrestling company, you're going to lose. Which they have been losing. But in my honest opinion, we're not I'm not worried about them possibly moving to a different different night. Oh, it's the end of the it's the end for AEW Dynamite on Wednesdays. Cool your jets, folks. Cool your jets. I don't see them moving. Tony Khan doesn't think they're moving, so there's no need to worry. Everything is going to be fine. Alright? They're gonna stay on Wednesdays. Plain and simple. Now, let's move on to this next story. And it involves Sadie Gibbs. Now, Sadie Gibbs, she had a brief stint with AEW before she was uh, let go. Now, she announced on her official Instagram that she is retiring from pro wrestling. And that sucks. And it saddens me because I thought she was pretty good. Like... Name one woman who could do a Sasuke special. Sadie Gibbs. Now, Gibbs participated in a tour with Stardom in Japan before she joined AEW in 2019. Uh, She made her in-ring promotional debut at Double or Nothing's pay-per-view event where she worked the Women's Casino Battle Royal and ended up being the three women to eliminate Awesome Kong. Gibbs was uh, released from AEW last August. Now, she posted a lengthy statement on her Instagram, which she says, I'm retiring. Hope you can watch this in and minute showreel of all my best moments and show you love and support in the comments below. Letting go is never easy, but it's necessary. It's been a really confusing year and a half for me, but I've always been good at following my instincts and letting go. And having nothing but grace in the path ahead of me. I've decided in order for me to excel in my new endeavors. Coaching, speaking, teaching, being the leader which I've always been. I have to let go and set my intentions on what it is I want for my life. And where I see long term sustainable fulfillment. And those doors are opening and it's about time. I conserve all my energy and focus on this new chapter. 
I will forever be the Amazing Grace. I will forever be the girl who did a corkscrew Sasuke special. I will be undefinable. I love you all. I love you. I love all of you guys. Not just for supporting me as a wrestler, but me as a person. As someone who, despite what everyone expects, I follow my gut, my instincts, and I do it with grace. Everything we do isn't forever. It is a stepping stone to a chance to evolve and grow through. My vision is big, starting with short films, action movie scenes, and a lot of my plans are cent- centered around my undefinable brand. My next big go- big goal is to have a self-development book out, Remain Undefinable, and so many micro-goals along with this new chapter, Teach, Speak, and inspire slash impact as many individuals' lives as I can with the undefinable mentality. Thank you to all my members of the team, Undefinable. So, fans who became clients and now friends, grateful for each and every one of you making Undefinable believing what it is today. A remarkable, undefinable community. Team Undefinable goes on. So, I wish her nothing but the best. I mean, I was very impressed by Sadie Gibbs when I watched her in Stardom. See? See, Stardom has that effect on me. When I see someone that I like, I am very impressed by them. And when it's Stardom, they get me into talent that I love. And, um, I honestly feel like, I don't, like, whatever's next for her... I wish her nothing but the best. I'm going to miss her in the ring. I thought she was she was pretty good. And um like I said, I first noted about know about Sadie Gibbs when she was in Stardom. And she impressed the living hell out of me. When and I was happy when she signed with AEW and I just said I just wish they could have done more with her. But pandemic hits, she gets released and now she's on the next chapter, putting her boots up and doing something else for herself. So whatever that journey is, good luck, Sadie Gibbs. Good luck. I wish you nothing but the best. Let's talk more about this Lee storyline. This Lee story that's going on right now. Now, for those of you who have been living under a rock, Lee is no longer working with AEW, I gave my two cents about it. We heard from Eva Lisa's side of the story. I would love to hear Thunder Rosa's side of the story about Eva Lisa. And I was talking to one of my friends who who was uh, watching me stream on Wednesday, and I have to make con- I have to contact this specific wrestler. I have to contact Thunder Rosa, by the way, because I still want to I still want to interview her and Holiday. I think that would be the funniest interview ever. So like so much good shit, but I'm doing it at the right time. So that's still on my uh, plans. Now anyway, Evilise got cut due to um, heat with management, and um, there was issues with Thunder Rosa, um, some of the trainers, but Booker T, um, on his the Hall of Fame podcast slash radio show chimed in. And he had a lot to say about Evil East. And he did not let go. This is what he said. 
He said, I've had nothing but good times as far as Eva Lee's goes with reality of wrestling. But business is business. The story with Eva Lee is she had some problems with one of the trainers or one of the coaches. And my thing is this. And it's just my opinion and my opinion only. When you have a problem with somebody, social media is not going to be the lifeline to go to. And he's not wrong on that one. Booker T's not wrong on that one. Um, to save you, you, like to save you like a life preserver or a life jacket. To save you when you're having problems at work. I feel like social media is the last place I need my employees going to trying to settle a grievance with me on social media because that's not going to happen. The only thing that's going to do is tick me off. Putting something on social media when you have a problem with me, it should be with me, not with you and your social media followers. And fair enough, that is true. Me personally, honestly, I, the way I feel, and I like Ivelisse, I think she's good people, but I also think that anybody that goes to social media and thinks they're going to save their job and you're exposing or divulging inside information, you should be fired. You, you should be fired from every job. I'm saying in a general aspect because why go cry about something that you're not going to change? And you're definitely not going to change it that way. If it's not working for you here, okay, move on some, somewhere else. Hopefully it will work out for you there. If it doesn't work out for you there, you move on. But to think all of a sudden that we're going to change the way business is done by going on social media and having a movement for every occasion, it's not going to happen. It's sad to see people immediately want to run a, to social media and think that's going to solve the problem. That's not going to solve the problem. That's going to make the problem worse, which he's not lying right there. That's the only thing it's going to do. When I see stories like this, it really upsets me. I know I didn't have social media back in the day, but I got it now. And I could be complaining about a whole lot if I wanted to. The thing is, I complain. I complain a whole lot. I complain to the people that need to hear it. And if they don't change it, we have a problem. I'm going to move on. Then, if that di did happen in that sense, the story is not going to be on social media. They're not going to hear about it. They're just going to hear Booker T has left or Booker T's working somewhere else. That's it. Just like when I went from WWE to TNA. When I went from WWE to TNA, I don't think you're going to find one interview throughout those two years where I said anything about WWE. Whether I liked it, whether I hated it, or whether there was a certain, pe certain people that ticked me off, unquote. So yeah, like, I'm with Booker T on this one. I wouldn't go on social media to complain about your work. Like, I'm, I'm not saying go and complain about your boss because sometimes, nine times out of ten, someone might find it and you could get fired immediately. But for Ivelisse, all she had to do was keep it to herself instead of going on social media and, um, and um, literally pointing the finger of blame at one person. And like my dad always told me, and I said this 
um, uh, to myself a lot. There's always two sides of the story. We heard from Ivalice. Now we got to hear from Thunder Rosa and the trainers and Tony Khan what what really happened. And then we could see who we believe in. But literally, I, I'm with Booker T. I, I just wish... I honestly wish um, Ivalice could have handled the situation better. And she is talented, I'm not going to lie, but sometimes she could go into business for herself and that really rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And that's pretty true, in my honest opinion. So, and I think Ivalice has nobody to blame but herself because of that. And I just wish, because she had that chance and she screwed it up for herself. So, that's that. Now, let's talk AEW Dark and Elevation. We're going to start with Elevation first. We got Ray Phoenix. Roll the R's. Defeating Chuck Taylor. We're just going to do a quick recap. If you didn't watch Dark Elevation or AEW Dark, I got the results right here. Ryan Nemeth defeated Ryzen. You got Orange Cassidy defeated Dean Alexander. The Acclaim defeated Adrian Alanis and Liam Gray. Those names may sound familiar because... Adrian Alanis and Liam Gray were part of one of my favorite stables in Evolve. The Skulk with AR Fox, Leon Ruff, who is in NXT. So, really great things for the Skulk. Seeing Alanis and Gray in AEW Dark Elevation really put a smile on my face. And I know AR Fox is smiling from ear to ear, seeing his guys working hard to uh, get to that prime position. Um, and by the way, like, no, no, by the way, no, by the way, we got, um, let's move on to the next one. Nick Camarado defeated VSK. You got Layla Hirsch and Rio Mizunami. God, I love that team. I love that team. They just ooze with charisma. They defeated Diamante and Amber Nova. Chris Statlander defeated Tesha Price. Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page defeated Allen Five Angels and Alex Reynolds. And there was no John Silver with them. There was no John Silver, because I have a theory. He probably was sitting in one of the rooms watching Mortal Kombat too many times, which is a great movie. Like, it's a really good movie. Um, you got Big Swole and Red Velvet. They defeated Matty Winkowski and uh, Nyla Rose. Well, more like Nyla powerbombed Matty Winkowski and walked off. Finally, Matt Seidel defeated Joey Janela. On the dark side... AEW Dark, the acclaimed, defeated Fuego Del Sol and D3. We got the Seidel brothers defeating David Ali and Aaron Fry. Dante Martin of Top Flight. I don't know how long his brother's going to be out of action. Because I really do miss Top Flight. I'm not going to lie. Um, he defeated Andrew Palace. Varsity Blondes defeated Duke Davis and Gavin Jones Jr. Brian Cage defeated uh, Marty... Cossus, I don't know if I pronounced it right, but that name may sound familiar for all you Lucha Underground fans. Marty DeMarth Martinez. That same Marty. And he looks in great shape. And if I'm AEW, I'm looking at this guy saying, we need to get him in our company. They will be fools to let him slide. So, that's that. Um... And literally, this was a Lucha Underground flashback for me. We have Layla Hirsch defeating Renee Michelle. 
Lance Archer, everybody dies. Defeated on uh, Jake St. Patrick. Diamante defeated Rachel Rose. Fun fact, um, Rachel Rose was supposed to be in one of our biggest shows at Wildcat, the Revolution Rumble, but she suffered an injury and she had to miss out, unfortunately. Same with AQA, who is now in NXT. So, congrats to her. But Diamante, she defeated Rachel Rose. Lee Johnson defeated Will all day, all day, all night. Uh, Penelope Ford defeated Ashley D. Am- Ambrose, if I pronounced it right. I don't know if I did. Cole Cabana defeated Cole Carter. Kylan King defeated Danny Jordan. SCU defeated Adrian Alanis and Liam Gray. And finally, Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, and Press 10, Vance, defeated Private Party and The Blade. No Butcher. So that was dark. Now, AEW Dynamite, this was their little go-home show for um for the Blood and Guts match between the Pinnacle and, and the uh, Inner Circle. And I thought they did a really good job. It was a strong, a strong show. We opened with a match, which that's what you should always do, not with these overly long promos that's going to make me sit there and say, oh my God, can we just do a match, please? But we have Brian Cage versus Hangman Page. Now, Hangman Page got attacked before the match, and he was assaulted. You got Dark Order trying to even the odds, by, and Team Taz walks out, so did uh, Dark Order. But this gave Brian Cage the advantage to powerbomb him on the ramp. So, back in the ring, we Hangman said he's ready. And I was shocked. Not going to lie. I thought, Brian, I thought Brian Cage was going to lose. But Brian Cage gets a win over um, Hangman Page. He ends his unbeaten streak this year. And... I love me some Brian Cage. I think he's fantastic. He really is fantastic. I still have that photo of me meeting Brian Cage at a Wildcat show. Really nice guy. And I'm glad that he won. Like, I think Brian Cage, if you would have asked me who should leave Team Taz, Brian Cage, most definitely. He should go out on his own and do his own thing. Just saying. But this was a good match. Really good opening match. And what a shocking outcome. That's the best way I could describe it. You had the elite. Gallows, Anderson, the Impact World Champion, NAEW Champion, Kenny Omega, along with the Tag Team Champions, the AEW Tag Team Champions, the Bucks of Youth. Um, Don Callis, he hypes up Omega's big weekend. And the Young Bucks match is up next. Now... Kenny Omega speaks, and he's he's angry at the intimidation from Eddie Kingston and John Moxley last week. He's saying that he's not scared, though, right? Until they hear a car honk, and everybody was just jumping out of their seats like, oh my god, oh my god, are they here, are they here? Then Michael Nakazawa just comes in, like, he was in the car, he's like, sorry, I hit the wrong button. And Omega said, Eddie's gonna have to deal with their goon with their goon and Michael Nakazawa later on tonight. So, I mean, this was a fine segment, but you could still see that they're intimidated by Moxley and Eddie Kingston. 
So it really plays a part into uh, what happens later during the show with Omega. The Young Bucks versus the Seidel brothers. I thought this was a very good tag team match. And I got to give props to Matt Jackson. Because it seems like he loves Mortal Kombat. And as a fan of Mortal Kombat myself, when he did the split and did the dick punch, the nut punch, and they zoom into his face, I'm like, that's a Johnny Cage move. That's a Johnny Cage move. Somebody's been watching Mortal Kombat. Somebody's been playing Mortal Kombat. But I'm like, I also want to give props to the Seidel brothers. They did a damn good job. Um, like they, they really did a damn good job in this match. And I want to see more of them. I really do. I want to see more of them. They did so good. They literally won me over. The Young Bucks, they won with the BTE trigger on Mike Seidel. And they're celebrating. Well, they had their goon, Brandon Cutler, just spraying stuff on them, putting the ice pack on their shoulders. SCU, Frankie Kazarian, and Christopher Daniels, they came out. And he tells Matt Jackson to keep whatever you got to say. And he runs... uh, they run down the Bucks' new attitude, and they pretty much said, last time we made a pack, like, we made a deal. Like, Frankie and Chris said that if we lose, we will no longer be a tag team. And ugh, they question the Bucks' new attitude, and they question their uh, wardrobe choices. And like I said, they remind us that they'll quit tagging after they lose, after their next loss. They're ready to use their number one ranking for a title shot. And they will take the one thing that matters to them. Their belts. And they'll also make AEW better without the asshole Bucks. So, I sense this match is going to take place at double or nothing. I think that's the right destination. That should be the final send-off for SCU as as a duo. Because I feel like they're going to be doing other things like coaching the younger talent. I think that's the best thing I could see them doing. So, like, that's just how I see. But this was a nice setup. I think, like I said, it's going to take place at double or nothing. And they ain't winning the, they ain't winning the tag titles. If you would have asked me, Shino, who should beat the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Well, <clears throat> there's two teams that come to mind. There's the Dark Order, Alex Reynolds and John Silver, or Jurassic Express. I think they should be the team. They should be the two teams, and there's a plane flying, like in the background. <laughs> they That ain't getting edited. <laughs> But I think Jurassic Express would be a great team to take the titles off the Young Bucks. You're going to need this po- overly popular babyface team to take the titles from them. And this is the right... Those two are the right teams. So, I sense this match happening at double or nothing. They're going to give it everything, but at the end, SCU will lose, and that will be the end of SCU. We had Orange Cassidy versus Penta El Cierro Mero. This was a really good match. Like, this one could be hit or miss for everybody. But, um, I thought it was alright. 
It was pretty good. But Penta, man, there was this one spot where he caught um uh, a dive from uh, Orange Cassidy. He did a one-on, like, gorilla press, like this military press, and just threw him on the fucking uh, apron, which looked fantastic. But Orange Cassidy, he gets the win when you had Alex Abrahantes trying to talk trash to Orange Cassidy. Um, like, that didn't work. And behind the ref's back, Trent tosses the mic. He hits the orange punch on uh, on uh, Penta with the mic behind the ref's back, knocks him down completely, cover, one, two, three, and that was it. That was it. Really good match, but it could be a hit for some people. Some people may think this isn't the match for me, and that's fair. That's fair. But Penta, man, he is so damn good. Like, it reminds me of the Lucha Underground Pentagon. It reminds me of when he held the Impact World Heavyweight Championship at the time. That's the Penta I want to see. That's what I really want to see. Now, earlier, we had Tony Schiavone. He was backstage with Britt Baker. And Britt pretty much talked about her working her way up the ranks and what she did. And she wants the AEW Women's Championship. And you ha- like I love that she hugged Tony Schiavone because they're friends in real life. They are friends in real life. Now, I still stand by my prediction that I think Britt Baker should win the AEW Women's Championship. It's that time. Hikaru Shida has done everything that she has to do as the AEW Women's Champion. She's beaten pretty much everybody. It's time for something new. And I think an obnoxious Britt Baker with the title would be so entertaining. And you could go back to her and Thunder Rosa. Like, go back to Thunder Rosa saying, I beat you at the Lights Out match. And Britt could retort saying, newsflash, that win did not count because it was not on the win-loss record. So if you want this, come and get it. Something like that. So, and Britt gets her win back. She retains. And you build up that next person who, who, I don't know. You're just going to have to find out. But Tony, he was in the ring, so he had teleportation powers. But even though the interview with Britt Baker was earlier during the day. So, Tony Schiavone's in the ring for the parlay between the Inner Circle and the Pinnacle. And this fucking segment right here was fan-fucking-tastic. This was excellent. This is the best way. This is how you sell a big match. Nobody got physical. They just stood, stared at each other, making the match feel important. Making this first time blood and guts match feel special next week. Now, Tony says he expects a decorum and explain the rules of blood and guts, which is simply the war games rule. Now, he wanted to flip a coin, which... I'm like, no, how about you do a match? Like, you know what they could have done? They could have done, like, a ladder match. Or they take one person on their team against one person on the inner circle. Like, one person from Pinnacle, one versus from, one from inner circle. Whoever wins, they get the advantage 
at the uh, Blood and Guts match. So, Sean Spears says they were lured into the match so they could get the man's advantage. And he asks, when's the last time Sammy wrestled a match? Which is true. He says Jericho is leading him into deep waters and he will be, he will step on his head. And Sammy, he gets on the mic. And I was, I watched it back and I'm like, oh my goodness, the savagery is real. He's, he doesn't believe Spears and he asks, why should he? Why would I? You've been a failure ever since you came to AEW, says Sammy Guevara to Sean Spears. And he says, heck, you were even a failure failure where uh, you used to work. By failure where he used to work was WWE. Mmm, burn. And he will fail again on May 5th. And since you want to go out first, I will go out first and fight everyone. Now Cash Wheeler says, don't... Now, he goes to Santana and Ortiz, and he tells them, don't bring this version of Santana and Ortiz. Don't bring the lapdog version of Jericho's for blood and guts, because if they do, because if they do, they won't make it out. Now, Dash says somebody, somebody's career will be shortened in blood and guts, and he isn't afraid to die. Now, like Dax, he tells Santana... To go grab their children and tell them daddy isn't coming home. Now this, like, you look at Santana's expression. He's like, don't you fucking go. You're going too fucking far. Don't you do that shit. He wanted to beat the shit out of uh, Dax Harwood. And Ortiz had to hold him back like, no, no, no. That's what they want you to do. May 5th, let out fists do the talking. Short, sweet, to the point. Now MJF. He says thank you to Jericho. He wants... And he says he wants to hear that from everybody. Because without him, there is no AEW. He says he made the best group in profession, professional wrestling in the inner circle. However, he can't imagine the pressure he must have felt. Referring to Jericho. Saying that he put the company on the line every time you came out here. And we can see it every week. Your eyes are bloodshot and you look exhausted. You won't have to worry much longer because after blood and guts, I, MJF, will take the burden. And when blood and guts is over, he will once again say thank you. And your spot is mine. Really good promo by MJF. Like I said, when MJF talks, stop what the fuck you're doing and listen to what the fuck he has to say. Now Jericho, and this was a this was great on Jericho's part. I'm gonna give him props. He calls MJF a self righteous, uh, self gravity prick. You can inherit a spot like he inherited his mommy and daddy's trust fund, and he tells MJF, "If you want a spot, you have to earn it." And you mentioned that I was curtain jerking at the age of 25 in WCW. At 25, I already headlined areas in Japan and Germany. That's how he earned the reputation that put him at the top of the game. He claims the pinnacle is not the family, but the inner circle has been a family since day one. I handpicked Sammy Guevara to be in here. Santana and Ortiz, they're a bunch of wolves. And he mentioned that Jake Hager almost saved him from one of the tours in WWE in uh, 2012. 
Like, he tells MJF that you will not get in the middle of the inner circle against, like, you will not be in the middle of the inner circle. You will have to kill us to make us surrender. And they stared at each other. No pull-apart brawls or anything that is overdone when it comes to these um, big matches. That's how you sell a match. This was excellent. And if you were to ask me who should win the Blood and Guts match, you got to go for the pinnacle, man. In my honest opinion, the pinnacle needs this win more than the inner circle. The inner circle, they're already established. The, the pinnacle, they just started. So it would be a big win for them to establish them as the next big dominant stable on your AEW roster. And I think that's the right direction, in my honest opinion. But where do they go if the pinnacle loses at Blood and Guts? I'm just saying. Like, I feel like pinnacle needs this win more than the inner circle. They're all, Like I said, they're already established. The inner circle's already established. The pinnacle, they need a big win to establish them as the best stable on AEW. So, I think you all might agree with me. Pinnacle needs this win. Usually the heels go over when it comes to a War Games type match. So, that's what that's my thoughts on it. We have Michael Nakazawa. He's in the ring with his just sitting there with his laptop. Eddie Kingston's music hits. He's like, "No, no, no. Cut the sports entertainment crap. I'm not here for that. I want Omega." And that brings out Kenny Omega, who talks at Eddie until Nakazawa attacks him from behind with a laptop. You don't fucking attack Eddie Kingston with a laptop. Do you know what's going to happen? You're going to get your ass kicked. Now, at Kingston, he fights this off, and he get he's getting ready to pulmonize uh, Nakazawa's ankle, like after he hit the back fist of the earth. Now, Kenny tells him he can do it. Some friend you are, Kenny Omega. And he calls for another goon, Brandon Cutler. But Cutler gets beaten up on the hillside by John Moxley. And John Moxley is kicking his butt. You got Moxley helping Kingston take down Omega. And they threaten to break the champ's ankle if Callus doesn't give them a tag match with Kenny and Nakazawa next week. And I'm thinking, I'm like, like, I'm thinking, why not just go after the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championships? Take what makes them special and just get revenge out of it. That's what I would have done. But whatever. That's all I can say, just whatever. Um, but Don Callis agrees, and we get this match next week. So it's not going to be a one-match show. We're going to have some matches on uh, on AEW Blood and Guts next week. So that's that. Chris Statlander, she defeated Penelope Ford. This was an okay match, in my honest opinion. It was all right. And Chris Statlander is getting wins. She's unbeaten. So sooner or later, a certain doctor is going to be the AEW Women's Champion, and she could vie for the AEW Women's title. See? It works. We got the factory consisting of 
Nick Camarado, QT Marshall, and Aaron Solo, along with Anthony Ogogo, taking on the Nightmare Family, Dustin Rhodes, Billy Gunn, and Lee Johnson. Um, this match, I wasn't really into it. I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. Just something does not click with me. You got Anthony Ogogo doing the punch, that gut punch. They're trying to get that move over as an effective um, um, strike. Even though Anthony Ogogo is a boxer in real life. So, the heels win. Um, you got Dustin Rose getting hit with a cowbell. Uh, Marshall, he gets jumped by Billy Gunn's son. Luthes Press, I believe, by... I don't know which uh, gun it was. But, Luthes Press, QT escapes from the bus. Like, he tries to go into the bus. But, you could clearly see Cody Rhodes' face in there. And I'm like, there he is. There's Cody Rhodes. So, Cody Rhodes is back and he attacks QT Marshall. They're on the roof and... Cody applies the figure four, and that match is taking place next week. Eh. Just, eh. I don't know why, but just, eh. Like, I don't know. Kip Sabian is backstage. He's trying to catch up with Miro, and this is the best thing Miro has ever done. He kicked his ass. And he slammed his wrist on the door, and he just hugs him and tells him, Forgive me, uh, Kip. And he walks off. I'm calling it right now. Miro is taking that title from uh, Darby Allen. I think that's what needs to happen. And I'm just being completely honest. Speaking of Darby Allen, he defended his TNT championship against Preston Vance. This was a pretty fun match. Like, 10 almost had um, the full Nelson lock. Uh, like, he almost won that match. But um, Darby, he rolled him up. Even though Ten's right shoulder was up, like I caught that. That was a three. That was a two count. I saw his shoulder up, but the ref didn't see it. Post match, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky they attack Sting, and um, and Darby Allen um, Scorpio Sky put the heel hook on Sting until they get chased out by Ten and uh, Preston Vance. So, to close out the show. And I also love that Darby showed respect to 10. And he took the Brody hand wristband and just hold it up. Because you know how important Brody was in uh, a, not only in AEW, but in wrestling. And we still miss him to this very day, man. To this very day, we miss him. And that was pretty much AEW Dynamite. So, next week is the Big Blood and Guts match between the Inner Circle and the Pinnacle. We got Britt Baker in action. Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa taking on Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. Cody Rhodes versus QT Marshall. And I believe there's another match they announced. I think it was a four-way tag team match. And I think one involves SCU and Jurassic Express. And the Acclaim. I'm trying to think who the other who the last team is, but it'll come to me. But they also announced that on May 12th, uh, two weeks, John Moxley will defend his IWGP United States Championship against Yuji Nagata. Talk about that forbidden door, man. But this really came to me as a surprise. Really good shit right, right there. Now, what's my thoughts 
on Kenny Omega versus versus Rich Swan at uh, Rebellion. I want to talk about this briefly. I did see the match. That was the only match I cared about. It was good. It was really, really good. I'm just happy that Mauro Ranallo was back calling a wrestling show. Like calling this particular match. Because Mauro is one of the best commentators in sports. Period. When it's wrestling, he is number one. Up there. Currently. But this match was good. The surprise... Like the outcome really didn't surprise me because... There was no way in hell Kenny Omega was going to lose to Rich Swan. So he's doing the whole belt collector thing and he now has the Impact World Championship. Soon he probably might, like he has the Me- AAA Mega Championship, the AEW World Championship, the Impact World Championship. Sooner or later he's going to go to NWA, take the world title from Nick Aldis. And if you want me to be really crazy and... This is just a theory for me. Kenny Omega... There's an IWGP United States Championship match, right? Who's the first inaugural IWGP United States Champion? Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega. It would not surprise me if Kenny wins that title again. Who knows? And he could add that to his belt collection. Now, if you want me to be really, really crazy, even though we know this is not going to happen... What if he makes a shocking appearance on NXT and takes the NXT title from Karrion Cross? But knowing Vince, he wouldn't want that. Now would he? But he would get more eyes on the product if you have fucking Kenny Omega. I'm just saying. But knowing Vince, he probably won't do it. But that that's that. Like, I thought... And I know Impact Rebellion did some really good numbers. Like, some really good pay-per-view buys. I know there are other matches on there that were really good. and But I was caring more about the main event. Like, I felt like Impact did more to hype up this match than AEW did. And that's, that's just me saying that. Anyway, let's move on to this next story. I want to say congratulations to Lonnie Luck, who is now engaged to a GPA. Now, they did a normal training session... And in the middle of the training, GPA turned an up and over into a marriage proposal. And she said yes. Congratulations to both of these, to both of them. Really happy for them. And Lonnie Luck was actually on the Women of Honor show, which, um, I, I mean, I need to watch that because I heard it's pretty good. And speaking of Ring of Honor, they are... CMLL has ended their working relationship with Ring of Honor. They've been in business since 2016. And if we subtract that to 2021, they've been they've been working together since for five years. CMLL has announced that their strategic relationship with Ring of Honor has come to an end. Uh, CMLL and Ring of Honor have worked together since 2016, but it appears that the collaboration has been dissolved. Although Ring of Honor are yet to issue a comment, um, CMLL statement um, posted to their social media reads this. Translated, the World the World Wrestling Council reports as of today, just a little bit, the strategic alliance 
that it had with the American company Ring of Honor since 2016 has uh, come to an end. And CMLL continues to focus its efforts and resources with commitment to continue presenting the best wrestling in the world and thanks Ring of Honor for this period of joint work. Now, for those who don't know, Ring of Honor and CMLL work, work in relationships saw the two promotions run Global Wars a spectacular tour together in 2019 throughout the United States. Ring of Honor's Matt Taven also formerly held the NWA World Historic Welterweight Championship in CMLL and competed in the main event of CMLL's 85th anniversary anniversario in 2018. CMLL also have a working relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. The two promotions issued a joint statement in February which affirmed the status of their partnership. So, all good things come to an end, unfortunately. Now, I don't know what's next for Ring of Honor. I don't know who they're going to partner with next. But, um, who's to say a certain best bout machine won't come and take the world championship in Ring of Honor? I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe a working agreement with NWA. Something like that. And it could really help the women's division. I don't know. But what's next for Ring of Honor? I don't know. With this partnership. What's next for CMLL? I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. So I hope not, I hope for the best for both parties in the end. Alright guys, before we continue on with the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Amino. Now, you may be asking yourself, Hey, uh, Shino, what the hell is Amino? Well, it's an app that is pretty much a network of communities that you can explore, discover, and obsess over things that you like. Say that you love video games, you want to join the video game communities on Amino, they have it. You like music, they have it on here. Like different genres. Like, for me personally, Wrestling. Wrestling is one thing I go that I really love. And I'm part of Wrestling Amino and I met a lot of amazing people on here. So and it's fun to interact with everybody because they are very friendly. Very friendly people out there. So once again, if you want to try out Amino, it is free. I am part of Wrestling Amino right here and like this is where I got started before I got into podcasting so if you would like to download this app it is 100% free I am telling you it is worth it download the Amino app and hopefully I can see you guys on Wrestling Amino and now back to the show Continuing with the show, let's talk about a rejected pitch to reunite former NXT Tag Team Champions on the main roster. And trust me, it would have worked. Now, WWE's Tag Team Division is terrible. Like, let's be real. It is not good. It is the weakest, literally the weakest in this company. So, they could always use a shot in the arm. There are also a couple of teams that they could form on the main roster who have already seen success. 
That idea didn't work for Buddy Murphy and Wesley Blake. Now, for those who don't know about that tag team, Blake and Murphy, that was a really good tag team. With Alexa Bliss by their side, it really worked. Um, They were the NXT Tag Team Champions at the time, and they had Alexa Bliss by their side at times. Bliss was their manager prior to her own main roster call-up. Fightful Select is reporting that there were pitches from WWE Creative to reunite Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy following the release of Cutler. And obviously they could have done that because that tag team division needs a shot in the arm. Like, literally, get an adrenaline shot right there and... You can still you can use them to boost the tag team division. You're gonna need more than them. But guess what? The idea was Nick's. Blake and Cutler both reportedly worked with WWE throughout 2020 for the ideas to get them back on television. Um, they did return as King Corbin's knights, but then Cutler um, tested positive and saw him get released. Blake's release soon followed without anything else done with him. And it, it's a shame, man. I felt like they could have done more with the uh, with Blake and Murphy as a team. Just rekindle that old school NXT, like, NXT team that they had together. It's just that they just didn't know what to do with them. And the tag team division, like I said, needs a shot in the arm because... It's suffering big time on both on both brands. Well, you could say SmackDown, they're trying to fix the tag team division, but the only way you could fix this is simple. It's a simple thing I've been saying. Merge the tag team divisions. Have it be the catalyst for SummerSlam this year. Not SummerSlam, Survivor Series. The winner of the Raw Tag Team Champions versus the SmackDown Tag Team Champions will be the undisputed WWE Tag Team Champions, have it intertwined on both brands, and for fuck's sakes, don't split up teams for the sake of splitting them up. I mean, come on. Like, you shouldn't have split up heavy machinery. I'm just saying. Anyway, I feel like they dropped the ball right there. Now Buddy Murphy's directionless, and I fear for him, he might get cut next. Because he is so talented. So talented that they don't know what the fuck to do with him. And that's sad. That is absolutely sad. Now, moving on to this next story. WWE could move NXT back to Wednesdays now. I, I just don't think that should happen. I, I honestly think it should not happen. They don't need to go back to Wednesdays to try to combat AEW again. Look what happened last time. Both shows suffered in the ratings. Them going on a pose, both shows were better off for it, in my honest opinion. Now, NXT was moved off of Wednesday nights after NBC Sports Network announced their closure. The thought was that the NHL Wednesday night doubleheader gamers would bump NXT, but that's no longer the issue. Now, Nick Khan, who is WWE's president, seemed confident that the NHL won't be coming to the USA Network, and it turns out that's what happened. The Sports Business Journal reports that the next season will mark the first time that the NHL hasn't been on NBC since 2005 through 2006. NBC officially pulled out of the bidding for the NHL television package. Now, it's unclear 
where the NHL will go now, which I did talk about, which is going to be on Turner Sport. But USA Network's Wednesday night time slot remains empty. That doesn't mean NXT will jump right back over the over the respark, the, the uh, Wednesday night wars, but the option is certainly there. If I'm NXT, if I'm Triple H, I'm keeping my ass on Tuesday. I'm doing better numbers there, and I'm getting my own demos up a little bit. Like, instead of just trying to go to Wednesday and try to out... Like, try to outperform AEW. Like, worry about yourself. They don't need to move to, uh... They don't need to move to, uh, Tuesday... To Wednesday. They should stay right where they are. They're doing better numbers on Tuesday anyway. And both... Like I said, both shows benefited from that. AEW is not leaving that Wednesday slot. And I'm sticking with that. Like... They are not going to move to Wednesday. I don't care if it's could. I don't care if they might. They need to stay their ass on Tuesday and worry about themselves. Plain and simple. There is no reason for NXT to move back to Wednesday nights. Because of the NHL deal going to Turner Sports. No reason. Plain and simple. Tuesday is their, is their slot. Tuesday should be specifically for NXT. And don't worry, I got another story involving NXT with their weekly show. We'll get to that later. So let's move on and let's talk about Ali. Now, I was streaming on Twitch Wednesday. And I was talking with my friend Nails about how WWE mishandles talent. And she name-dropped uh, Mustafa Ali. Now, Ali, he's not happy about his new spot in WWE. And literally... They, like I said, the moment Retribution came to an end, he was going to go right back to square one. And this company has nobody to blame but themselves. Now, Ali was kicked out of Retribution, and the company had no storyline planned as an exit plan. He is simply on his own again and wrestling on main event. That's where Ricochet's at right now. On main event because they don't have no plans for them. The former leader of Retribution tweeted out a photo of himself from backstage at the Thunderdome. He also made a very bold claim about his return to main event. Main event Mustafa returns this week. It's going to be the best match of the week, too. For the record, Ali defeated Ricochet this week on the main, on main event. That explains where Ricochet went as well. We'll have to see what Ali can achieve on WWE's main roster. He still has plenty of time on his contract, but he also needs those precious opportunities. He's apparently not going to pass it up a chance to impress anyone, even if it's on main event. Like, if I'm Ali, and I'm being completely honest, you know, there's one championship that you should win, the Cruiserweight Championship. There's a certain time guy named Kushida who could issue open challenges to anyone on the roster it would not surprise me if Ali goes back to NXT and wins some championships like that would be perfect for me in my honest opinion but um I wish they could do a better job with Ali so damn talented like I'd say the same about everybody on the roster that has been misused or miscast or underutilized like I could go on and on like Underappreciated is another word, but it's just so many things that this company can do to make somebody a star, but they just don't want to. And that's sad. It's absolutely sad. 
Now, moving on, we have a new ring announcer, apparently, and the WWE welcomes Samantha Irvin to uh, the WWE PC family. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, she is a singer in... And a flautist, I don't know if I pronounced it right. You've seen her on America's Got Talent. I can see your voice and singing the national anthem in MLB. Samantha wasted no time getting started in WWE and has begun ring announcing for 205 Live. And look, good for her. Good for her. But I'm going to be real. Like I say it every time, I don't watch 205 Live. But um, if she could... If she could... uh. I think she might impress if there's plans to bring up another uh, ring announcer uh, to the main show. I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. But, uh, yeah, that's a good signing. And she might be used for the new weekly NXT show. Who knows? Like, again, I'm dropping that, that hint again. But let's move on and ask, where... In the world is AJ Styles and Omas. Where in the world are they? We haven't seen them on Raw for three weeks. And it looks like there's a reason why we haven't seen them. Brian Alvarez revealed on Wrestling Observer Live that he that he asked um, around about AJ Styles and Omas's current status. And he claims that he was told that they, they are not missing anyone and, and everyone is available... Nobody is being kept out right now, according to Alvarez's source. Now, it makes sense if WWE is shorthanded, and a lot of factors can cause this. Apparently, the red brand is not experiencing the issue. Um, That logically means anyone who isn't on television has been kept off for a reason. Now, I think AJ Styles and Omos actually broke their silence on the bump. So, let's go... Let's find out why. And yes, I'm doing this while I'm recording, so don't judge. So they break their silence and they address their absence on the bump. And this is what um, AJ said. They'll be back on Raw next week. The two have not been seen previously, have not been previously promoted for the show, but he seems very confident that they will be back on the red brand. He also assured fans that they will be in the ring. He did not confirm that they will have a match, but they will be in the Thunderdome next Monday. Now, AJ Styles and Omos also plan on picking up where they left off as the New Day will likely want to reclaim the tag team titles, which I'm going to assume is going to take place at Backlash. That won't stop them from saying that the New Day must earn the right to face them again. So, possibly next week we might see them. Hopefully we see them next week instead Head of me putting a milk carton out and saying, where's AJ and Omos? Where's your Raw Tag Team Champions? But um, I hope that they return. And since they are returning next week, which that's what they're saying, they're hoping for a return next week. But um, I just hope that they do right with them. Plain and simple, but you know this company. I don't put any trust in them. Now, this is something that I can agree with. This is uh, Jimmy Coderis talking about how WWE botches NXT superstars by changing them up after main roster call-ups. This is something that I don't want for anyone currently in NXT right now to face. Now, 
WWE will often call up a superstar from NXT to Raw or SmackDown, and then that wrestler's cha- character will change. It's rather mind-blowing for somehow, for somehow WWE can continually make that mistake, and they still make this mistake to this day. Character matters, so why change them when they move from one brand to another? Jimmy Corderas asked in a recent reference rant. He spoke about how NXT superstars have seen their characters change when they get when getting moved to Raw or SmackDown. If you ask Corderas, this change is not needed, and this is something that I 100% agree with. Now, he says, you know we've seen it with Keith Lee. We're seeing it with Rhea Ripley right now. Um... We've seen it with other across. Shayna Baszler's another one. Oh my goodness! Like, where do I even begin with Shayna Baszler? How, how they are dropping the ball with Shayna Baszler? It's like they don't see any value in Shayna as a top heel when she was in NXT. Like seriously, Alistair Black. Don't even get me started. And look, I'm happy that he's back on SmackDown, but they didn't have to change like. His presence, he was rising from the dead. Like, and the theme was great. And that's just me adding this. I don't understand why, if if it's working in NXT, then why do you have to alter it when you go to another brand? It's the same company, the same audience. So why alter it? Literally. Now, it was noted that the live audience might be missing to give WWE that feedback they need. Perhaps Raw and SmackDown getting a live audience back would give Vince McMahon that organic reaction he needs in order to make different, more effective booking decisions. But this is, like, this is Vince McMahon we're talking about, guys. You think he's going to listen to the fan feedback? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Like, it's not what Vince wants, guys. Like, seriously. Like, how do you botch Keith Lee? Like, you change his entrance theme because CFO has the right to the theme. Just make a deal with them and say, look, let let me just have all their themes, okay? Boom. Like, you shouldn't have changed Keith Lee's theme. He came out to that generic rock music, and Keith Lee wasn't looked at the same anymore. Like, I was always listening to Limitless. Because that theme was fucking fantastic. And he had to rewrite his old... He had to rewrite his theme and... They just didn't know what to do with Keith Lee. Shayna Baszler. Like, man, don't even get me... Like I said, don't even get me started with Shayna. She should have been the Raw Women's Champion, like, last year. Like, they could have put a lot of trust in Shayna Baszler. But it feels like they don't. Now she's running around in a goofy storyline with Nia Jax when, honestly, she could go out and tear the whole women's division apart. But no, let's pair her up with Nia Jax because we don't know what to do with Shayna Baszler. I could make a list of a lot of NXT talent that got butchered during a call-up. Like, let's, let, let's talk about Ember Moon for a bit. They didn't have anything planned for Ember Moon. And Ember Moon went back to NXT, and rightfully so. Because she's doing way better than she was on uh, on the main roster. It Don't even get me started with the Authors of Pain. Don't even get me started with AOP. You debuted them on Monday Night Raw with Paul Ellering and you left and you have them leave Paul Ellering. 
For what? To replace him with Drake Maverick? What sense does that make? I could go on and on about how they butcher the call-ups of, of NXT talent, but we'll save that for another day. But speaking of which, let's talk about Tucker. He actually drags WWE down for booking for the booking of Otis and Mandy Rose. Now, Tucker was one of the names that was released from his WWE contract. He has already spoken about how Vince McMahon doesn't allow fun story, which, which I don't understand why. He isn't done speaking about how the company's about the company's booking. Now, John Alba tweeted out to let fans know that he doesn't dislike WWE, but he was quite critical of Raw. This is when Tucker responded by admitting that he was that he still has a bad taste in his mouth about the whole situation. Now, <clears throat> in my opinion, and obviously I have a bad taste in my mouth, uh, but there is very little opportunity for talent to have any sense of agency over who they are and what happens on TV. To me, it's like, it's that, like, is this part of the creative process that is hurting the product the most currently? When asked if he felt any difference on the Liberty Superstars were given on each brand, Tucker responded, candidly, personally, no. I didn't find it to be any different most days. I will say there's a general sense of less stress on a two-hour show, but creatively, I didn't find a difference. One fan commented to say that WWE's creative system is broken, and it still is, at the point that Tucker had to agree, had to agree and he used Mandy Rose and Otis' storyline as an example. Yeah, and doing a storyline with Mandy and Otis for months with zero payoff. Literally. I mean, you could say the payoff happened at SummerSlam last year, but where, where's the follow-up? There was no follow-up. We'll have to see if WWE ever links Otis and Mandy Rose back together. The couple had no official breakup before they uh, before they were split. Then again, Murphy and Aaliyah, Aaliyah Mysterio were also never officially broken up, and that story vanished as well. Like, literally. <clears throat> like, and I'm looking at the tweet right now from John Alba. Again, folks, I don't dislike WWE at all. There are some enormously talented people, and I'm generally fine with SmackDown and usually enjoy NXT almost every week. Like, we all know how I feel about Monday Night Raw. Raw is garbage. Raw is garbage. The system is broken. Creative sucks. And Tucker knows this. Tucker knows this. Like, there's no payoff. Like, there's no breakup of Mandy and Otis. Like, what's what's the um what's the payoff here? Seriously. Like, you could tell when you watch this company, you don't need a report from any website, from any wrestling news websites. You can see it with your own eyes and see how flawed the WWE creative process is. Like, it's terrible. Like, you br like you split Mandy and Otis. No reason. Like, what's the reason? Where's the follow-up? They were together at SummerSlam. What happens now? Like, same with Buddy Murphy and Leo Mysterio. Where, what happens now? It just vanished without any explanation? Like, come on. You gotta do better than that. You have to do better than that. Like, that's ridiculous. At WrestleMania 37, We've seen Cesaro and Rollins put on a really great match, in my honest opinion. I thought it was really fun. 
But there was this one move that was a really awesome moment for WrestleMania when Cesaro finally did his UFO. Now, Cesaro, undoubtedly one of the most talented in-ring superstars in all of WWE, and he has consistently proven the fact with his matches over the years. At WrestleMania 37, he squared off against Seth Rollins, and to the delight of fans, he used his signature move, the UFO. Now, Cesaro used the move a lot back in the days of his indie circuit run, but hasn't used much used the move that much in WWE. And it seems there's a reason for that. And it's a really good reason, and I'm not going to fault Cesaro on this. While speaking of Metro UK, Cesaro said that he won't be using the UFO move very often and will save it for special occasions only. And that's fair enough. That is fair enough. Uh, I mean, I've waited nine years to do it. I'm not going to do it again and, and again and again. It's called UFO for a reason. You don't see those every day, right? It has to be special. For me, it was really cool. That was one of the things. No, that was one of those. I'll do it. I hope the fans will remember it and still like it. And they did. It's very humbling and it's cool to see. So it made me proud. The move was a huge highlight in Cesaro's win over Seth Rollins. And we will have to see what WWE has planned for Cesaro as he currently has a lot of momentum behind him right now. Like, I'm glad he's not going to use the move over and over again in small matches or, like, save it for, like, a big marquee match like SummerSlam or Survivor Series or Royal Rumble. Like, that would be really cool. Like, only use it when it's a big feel-good moment match for Cesaro to reach the mountaintop and say, hey... I finally made it. I'm now a world champion. Like, that's when I would... Like, only use it when it's a big match feel. Like, that would get people pumped. Like, I'm just saying. I think that would really... Like, if he does it over and over again, it's gonna get uh, tiresome. But the move is fantastic. Like, I say save it for big matches. When it's the right time. Or for big pay-per-views. So, that's what I'm gonna end it right here. And let's talk about SummerSlam. Now, a major city is out of running the host, running to host SummerSlam, and they're looking to bring back fans as soon as they can, and many within the company feel that they could bring live fans now, which we will talk about later, but that hasn't happened since, since WrestleMania. Now, the company is eyeing a couple of big city, cities, including Phoenix, Arizona, and somewhere in Texas. Last year, SummerSlam's location, Boston, Massachusetts, was hoping hoping for a do-over from last year, but they didn't get SummerSlam due to the pandemic, but the event was scheduled. SummerSlam was originally supposed to take place at the TD Garden in Boston. Fans in that area were very hopeful when Governor Charlie Baker announced new reopening guidelines for August 1st, and that would make SummerSlam 2021 a possibility for the city. On August 1st, Masks will no longer be needed outside of sporting events and can return to full capacity. That gave a lot of hope for Boston fans um, that they might be in the running for SummerSlam once again. Then those hopes were dashed by Boston Mayor Kim Janey. According to the Boston Globe, Boston Mayor Janey announced that her city will have to will wait three additional weeks before fully opening up per the new policy. That puts Boston's date 
for a return to normalcy at around August 23rd. There's no official date for SummerSlam yet, but August 23rd is the second to last month of the mo- Monday of the month. If Boston is going to get the event, then August 29th would be the only open date left um, in that month. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but Boston might have to wait a bit longer before they get another large-scale WWE pay-per-view. So, yeah, I, Boston is out of the picture, so it's still Arizona or Texas game. And when we will, uh, how long will we have to wait until we get the official announcement for uh, the location for SummerSlam? Well, according to Russell Votes, they tweeted out that WWE has... A very exciting idea for SummerSlam, but it's far too early to let the cat out of the bag just yet. Odds are that fans will hear about something and will hear something by June. They tweeted, um, <clears throat> hearing a hot SummerSlam location rumor that would excite a ton of people, but not at liberty to disclose yet, simply because those discussions are still in flux. However, considering many cities are still are starting to lift restrictions. I wouldn't expect any announcement prior to June. Now, it might be a bit of a wait, but June will be here before we know it because it's we're about to be in May, like tomorrow, if I'm correct. We're going to be in May tomorrow. Yeah. So, the summer is coming at WWE Fans Fast. And the company doesn't plan on leaving the Thunderdome for now. That hasn't stopped them from arranging test events, which we will talk about later. I'll give my thoughts on that. But I think it might be in Texas. Who knows? That's one place. I think Arizona or they might do Florida again. Just for just uh, for the safety measures. And if it's an outdoor venue, let's hope it doesn't rain on them like it did at WrestleMania. Because I made my statement like this is why you should do indoor events instead of outdoor. But SummerSlam will be perfect for an outdoor venue. Where? I don't know. We're just going to have to find out. Mickey James. Oh, WWE. How you drop the ball with Mickey James. How you don't show respect to a Hall of Famer, may I remind you. A legend, may I remind you. Someone that I met. At WrestleMania 34 Access, really nice woman, may I remind you. Like, she was told, women's wrestling doesn't make money in WWE. So, their true agenda is shown. They, I mean, Mickey James was released from WWE on April 15th, but that's not how, she, not how she wanted to go out. James wanted to continue wrestling, but WWE continued to put her on the sidelines. Releasing Mickey James hit the uh, crescendo when her trash bag came where the trash bag care package tweet made headlines and eventually caused Mark Carano's firing, who pretty much was possibly the scapegoat. But if it was Mark Carano who did that, then he's a piece of shit. Like, I even spoke about that in the last episode. During the Grown Ass Women podcast, Mickey James spoke about all the ideas she had in WWE. She made ton of pitches, but not nothing was ever green lit by the powers that be. One idea that she spoke about in detail would have to be an all-female brand, start in Vince McMahon's company. They have a ton of talented women who aren't being used, and this would have been a way to provide a larger spotlight for them. Now, this is what uh, Mickey James said. 
and it's a long one. She said, anything I pitched, they weren't into it. I wanted to find a balance in between. There was this moment where I said, what if we do an all-female brand? If I could help lead up to that and have an awesome team of women, we have the talent, the tools, and faculties. It would really help all the girls who are not getting television time. This one person said to me, they're never going to do it, ever. Women's wrestling doesn't make money. WWE Evolution was the lowest rated pay-per-view ever in WWE. I get what you're trying to do, but I don't understand why you're fighting so hard for it. You should play the cards you're dealt with, you're dealt, and see if there's a way to incorporate that with within a show rather than fight for it to be its own show. I just realized that every decision they do, a lot of it, a lot of it is business and how it falls in line with with business. I'm just disappointed as the whole being made to feel old with the pens and a walker and the whole ageism thing. I think we missed out on a lot of moments, whether it was me tying Trish's record and Charlotte tied that and beat me or Chelsea Green or the Chelsea Green angle working on Twitter. I originally pitched that I originally pitched that angle for Liv Morgan in 2019 because I love Liv. There have been several moments that we could have done and should have been done. Um, that should have been that should have done that. We missed the boat on. I got a text message from my brother. Um, anyway, many fans obviously disagree with WWE's apparent viewpoint of women's wrestling. Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair main evented the first night of WrestleMania 37 for a reason. Plenty of people were there to sing their praises. We'll have to see what's in the future of the women's evolution. Um, But they lost a great player when Mickie James was released. Indeed, they did. Now, I think there was someone, there was one person, she didn't name who, and I was on um, Cage Side Seats, and... It was an interesting debate on who that person was trying to sabotage her career. Now, she even talked about the uh, the Garbage Gate scandal. And this is what she had to say about it. All I can do is laugh about it. It's not even about a trash bag. Um, at the end of the day, it was never about a trash bag for me. I was astonished about how I took it off, how it took off. I almost deleted the post because I'm going like, I feel this comes off as too nasty or bitter or whatever. I'm being sarcastic, obviously, and just trying to laugh at myself and the situation. Because to be quite honest, I got my stuff the exact same way 10 years ago. The difference is, at that point in my life, I honestly believed it took... I honestly believed it and I took it very much to heart in the sense of like, this is what the company thinks of me. It's good now because I'm in a good space and I'm freed up in that sense that I can now truly say this or express myself in a real fashion without holding back or being an ugly, being in an ugly space about it. I was just so like, wow, they still do this and this is bullshit, but it's also kind of comical when you think about it, when you think about all of this, because it's literally how I felt 
they thought about me for the last three years whenever I would pitch anything or talk about uh about anything. Now, she continues on by saying, I know it wasn't a direct thing like, hey, this is what we think of you, and it isn't even like a Mark Carano. Uh, I empathize with Mark and feel bad that he's taking the full brunt of all this, and it sucks, but I can guarantee you that even his pension package is more prop is probably more than what I got paid in my last run in WWE. So, I don't feel bad for Mark. He was not happy in that situation. I was pissed. I'm pissed, but I'm angry. And I don't want to come across as just angry. But it's a direct reflection of everything that I've experienced in coming back. I was happy to take a backseat and take a trainer's role. All I asked for was a courtesy out the door. It was it was never about one last run or I still want I still uh I want to still be a wrestler for the next 5 years or anything. All I wanted was just a little respect so then I wouldn't feel like this unfinished business. I felt like I put up with a lot of crap even though coming back this last time and always being booked in a in like a lackey position or never quite getting that moment for myself or if I did it came at a cost of dis- of a divers and a walker or the whole finish to the Oscar fiasco or all these weird things that I sometimes felt were specifically purposefully because I was asking for this one thing it was going to come with a price kind of thing. I'm not saying that that's a directive from Vince because Vince has always been respectful to me, okay? Vince called me on the phone to apologize for the instance, the trash bag, and from for me know know that this is not what he thought of me. This is coming from Mickey James's mouth. Um I honestly tagged Vince in that because I want him, he needs to know. Because there's a lot of stuff happened underneath his nose that he's completely oblivious to because he's running a billion dollar, a multi-billion dollar corporation that is publicly traded. And I think this small-minded mentality or this thoughtless behavior is systematically, especially for me, to be constantly presented as old or made me feel like you're old when I'm 41 years old. And every single male champion, this is when she talks about... um the uh, ageism thing right here. <clears throat> Every single male champion that has that has been or come back or anything has always been the, my same age or even older than me and have been champions or been glorified for those reasons as they should be, as they absolutely should be. They're fucking amazing. But why is it different for women or for me? Ageism is a real thing and it's bullshit. I am truly grateful for the strides we have made to be seen more as more equal, but it's not true for every single person. And sometimes that's really, really unfortunate. I just don't know why I was made to feel like I didn't deserve it because I feel like I did everything in my power to be a company girl. Now, um, the six-time women's champ desire to be something other than a lackey doesn't seem like an unreasonable ask. And it's something a lot of fans wanted too. WWE's unwillingness to give Mickey a send-off, and I agree with this part right here. 
befitting a future Hall of Famer and their treatment of women over the age of 35 in general is probably directly related to the response she was given about an all-women's show. But even knowing their business rationale, it would be hard not to take their handling of her personally. Now, Val and Victoria, they don't specifically ask Mickey if she thinks anything will change as a result of her experiences, the trash gate or anything she's saying now, but this answer feels telling. She says, and I quote, I will say this, the person who's responsible for me feeling like shit and that I feel like completely tried to sabotage or devalue me or make me feel less than than is is still very much employed. And that's and that fucking sucks. You know what and you know what I mean. And I'm gonna take a wild guess on who that person is. Like there are two people that come to mind. Two people that literally come to mind. One being Kevin Dunn. Literally, we should probably put Kevin Dunn in the forest with a bunch of beavers and as he gnaws on some wood to think about the mistakes he made. Or it could be Bruce Pritchard. He might have a vendetta against Nick Aldis or something like that. I don't know. And he's taking it out on um, Mickey James. Like, I feel like it could be Bruce Pritchard because Raw is terrible because of Bruce Pritchard. He will be the scapegoat and even though Vince is oblivious, but it also shows what they really view about the women's wrestling and women's evolution. It's all a PR propaganda. If they actually put effort and care into it, they would be... Like, we, we're seeing Rhea and Bianca being built up as new stars. Like, like I'm hoping that they do the right thing and present them as the future, and they don't need to depend on a Charlotte or a Sasha or a Bailey or a Becky, because how long are you going to have these four in your, in your roster? Who knows, maybe Charlotte might think about Hollywood and she might get a big role or something like that. But, like, they did this to pad an agenda. Like, we could talk about agendas and all that nonsense. Women's wrestling doesn't make money. I call bullshit on that. Just because Evolution was the lowest rated pay-per-view, they still did pretty good. They did pretty good. Like, honestly... I think the reason they're saying that because Ronda Rousey is not there. That's just my hinge. That's just my theory that um they're saying stuff like that. When we all know women's wrestling can sell if you actually put the time and effort into it. Like seriously. That that's just the way I see it. Like NXT has the best women's division. I solely watch NXT to see the women most of the time, 9 times out of 10. Because I know the women can tear it up. And when people say NXT's women's division is the place to be... They're not lying. There will be some hit and misses. But literally, how can you say that um, women's wrestling doesn't sell if you don't give it a chance? Like, I see where Mickey James coming from. And also the ageism as well. That's also another topic in discussion. Like, we could make a whole rant about how like it's different for the males and the female but literally like I could see why Mickey James has every right to feel as frustrated as she is but um I feel like WWE could have given her like a proper send off and give her the respect that she deserves I, I still feel like Bruce Pritchard has some involvement in this 
to make her feel like absolute crap. Like, came back and you don't do, and you just don't treat her as a star. Have her be someone's lackey. Have her be, like, she was Alexa Bliss's lackey. When I know for a fact Mickey James could go out there and put on a show. And it's not fair for Mickey James to be treated like that. Like, and I love Mickey James. I think she's great. But wherever she goes, whether it's Impact, because I know Deanna Perrazzo has mentioned that she wants to see, um, she wants to see her in Impact wrestling, which I don't mind, make her return there. She could go back to NWA, be with Nick Aldis, or she could go to AEW if she wants to. Like, she will prove that she could do better. Like, she could still go. And I would not be surprised if they put the spotlight on her. Which, honestly, she deserves it. In my honest opinion. So, that's just how I see things. Pat McAfee talks about his detail, his first meeting with Vince McMahon. Now, the former NFL punter broke everything down on his Pat McAfee show about the meeting he had with Brief and with Vince McMahon, and it was brief. He said, I always heard Vince gives a firm handshake, and I was told by a couple of people, hey, when he's talking, don't feel obligated to nod because there's a chance he'll think you're not even paying attention. He is 100% invested in you when he's having this conversation. Michael Cole and I go to meet him before we go on the air. And after waiting 15 minutes, I go in, and he looks awesome, swagged out, great fit, standing up at the time. He goes, Pat, I'm coming in. Vince, good shake, good pass, great web-to-web, great eye contact. I go, I know you don't like to be complimented, but I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you. Definitely an ass, a kiss-ass moment, but also something I wanted him to know. He later added that, he later added by saying, he told me a couple of things, made fun of Cole, kind of buried Cole. I go for a fist bump back. I didn't know if he's a fist bump guy. Good pop, laugh, walk out, whole thing was 45 seconds to a minute. Wow. So Pat McAfee had a good interaction with Vince, so, and I thought he did pretty good on commentary. Like, I still think he's one of the highlights when it comes to commentary because they're letting him be himself. On a rarity, they would just make you sound forced and and just robotic and unorganic. But here, I think they're, make, they're doing right by making Pat McAfee be himself, which is good. And this is what makes SmackDown enjoyable. So I'm just saying... But good on McAfee, man. I think he's going to be doing a lot of this on SmackDown, which I'm looking forward to tonight because we got Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. We got Apollo and Big E. We got a big SmackDown tonight. And I'm going to be talking about it after the show goes off the air, which is literally at around 9, and then the episode will be posted on Saturday. Now, fans, now let's talk about creative changes over the last few weeks. Now, fans have heard over the years the saying that creative changes all the time in WWE. It's been well documented on several occasions that Vince McMahon will arrive at TV events and rip up the script for the show just hours before it goes live. Fightful Select shared a report today to give further insight into various storylines that have been changed over the past few weeks. As noted, Matt Riddle was originally slated to retain the United States title against Sheamus at WrestleMania 37. 
However, plans change to Sheamus going over due to WWE planning to have them uh, continue the feud. Sheamus didn't wrestle on the next two weeks of Raw episodes as WWE dropped plans for the continuation of their feud uh, the Monday following Mania. The company had plans for Riddle to do a short-term feud with Randy Orton as the Viper put over Riddle in the match. Although Orton was in favor of working with Riddle, they changed plans to have Orton feud with Braun Strowman. Um, there was the same episode of Raw that Riddle beat Orton, had originally advertised Orton versus Strowman, but the match was pulled off, was pulled the day off. Finally, it was noted that some that uh, before WWE changed the Orton-Strowman feud, there weren't immediate plans for the current program that sees Strowman align himself with Drew McIntyre to take on Mace and T-Bar. These two teams will wrestle for the second straight week on Raw, which we will talk about. And this does not surprise me. WWE cr- changes creative all the time like they change their pants. Like Vince changes his pants all the time. I don't find this to be shocking. Like, it's WWE. Plans always change at the last minute when this should be done early in advance. But knowing this company, that's what they're good at. Just changing shit in the last minute without any reason. Good job, WWE. Good job. Anyway, I want to say congratulations to Mansoor, who revealed on Instagram that... um. He recently got married, so he shared the news uh, on Monday that he tied the knot, and he wrote "Here's to forever" in the caption of a photo and a photo of their wedding rings. He has been in a relationship with designer Mia Carey of Orlando, Florida. So, WWE.com congratulated the married couple and noted that the wedding took place this past weekend. Now, Mansoor, who signed with with the company in 2018, is on a lengthy winning streak and has been since 2019. It was recently reported the reason for this winning streak is staying alive is to keep the Saudi Arabia officials happy. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons. But congratulations to Mansoor getting married. I'm very happy for him, and I hope for the next chapter of your life. Now, let's get to... The backstage reaction in WWE to UFC hosting a recent pay-per-view event at full capacity. The UFC 261 pay-per-view event took place this past Saturday in Jacksonville, Florida at the Star Veterans Memorial Arena. This marked the first time in over a year that the UFC show had a full capacity of fans in attendance. A little over 15,000 no, 15, fans uh, attended the show to see welterweight champion Kamaru Usman knock out George Masvidal to retain the strap. The promotion has already confirmed that they will have a sold-out crowd at UFC 262 next month, UFC 263 in June, and UFC 264, which will feature a rematch between Conor McGregor and Dustin uh, Poirier in July. WWE held WrestleMania 37 with fans in attendance this past month at Raymond James Stadium, which marked the first time that the main roster got to perform in front of live fans in over a year. 
The belief is WWE will resume touring in July or August, and SummerSlam will be the next pay-per-view with fans in attendance. WrestleVolt shared a report about the backstage reaction among WWE talent and officials about fans attending UFC 261 and their feeling about how WWE could have fans back at their shows right now. So, WrestleVolt, they tweeted out a major topic last night backstage at Raw was the pack house over the weekend at the UFC pay-per-view. While not many superstars are advocating for 100% capacity because they don't want to risk having a whole outbreak break on uh, their show and they get the heat of it, nearly everyone feels as though live crowds could return in some form at this time. Now, get this. They're actually starting to plan um, hosting test live events with fans. PW Insider reported that the company intends to start out with some test live events this summer, but they are very early in the planning stages and would be subject to when where things stand nationally with the COVID-19 pandemic, in addition to local regulations in various cities. While the company would like to start this process in July or August, um, they've yet to pull the trigger as they continue to look at how to best handle the situation. They're paying close attention to numerous waves of the pandemic have played out internationally. The reason for this is due to them wanting to make the best informed decision as to when and where they start. The report also noted that WWE could do some test runs, test run weekends, but as it stands right now, there's no dates, no dates have been locked in, nor buildings booked. Finally, it was said that WWE is waiting for the right moment to take the next step forward. And I also read from Dave Meltzer on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that they want to start before AEW starts touring because, and it's one of them, it's one of the mistakes that they're going to make. They just, they need to be patient. They have to wait. And if you're going to do these testings for live events with having fans, follow the guidelines. Just make sure they're socially distanced for now until things are openly back to normal, and boom, you're good to go. Just have some fans. Don't have, like, a sellout of fans in attendance. Just, like, that's just the way I would do things. Just social distance, have masks on, don't have them do anything stupid. Plain and simple, it'll work. And I hope that they plan on doing, like, if they're going to have fans, hopefully they do it right. Plain and simple. I just feel like they have to do it at the right timing. Timing is your best friend and it's your key. Just saying. Jim Johnson was recently the guest on uh, Insight with Quiz Van Vliet. Really great interview. I would literally take a listen to it. It's worth your time. And just want to get some highlights from the interview from uh, Jim Johnson himself. Now, he talks about the possibility... Now, Chris asked him on the possible Hall of Fame induction. Now, Jim said that I think if they haven't already, they're not going to. It's one of those pesky things where you don't want to be petty about it. But it's like you, it's like you guys did fire me, but you want me to come back and put me over by doing a Hall of Fame? Would it be an honor? Sure, but at the same time, it would be uncomfortable. There are people there I don't want to see and don't want to shake their hands, but it's not a big aspect of my life now. 
But one of the positive things after doing WWE for so long is you get to write whatever you want. And, like, I don't think we won't be able to see him that long in the uh, Hall of Fame. I mean, it would be nice. Like, really, it would be nice to see um, him get the recognition he deserves because he was one of my childhood reasons why I they have so many great musics. Like, I look at Steve Austin, I look at The Undertaker, um, The Rock. Like, just those names to be example. Jim Johnson was a genius when it comes to music. And, like, it's just messed up how they let him go. And we get some of the music that is either good or mediocre. It just doesn't fit the character. Anyway... He was asked if AEW contacted him, and this response I agree with Jim Johnson 100% with. He said, no, and it's all, it always amazed me from the business angle. If I was in the workroom, I would say Vince just fired, just fired Jim. That is a way we could really stick it to them. Find that guy, get him in here this afternoon. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, AEW doesn't need Jim Johnson. They don't need him. But... He, and this is the thing I, I wanted to hear, his current take on the current music that is in WWE and in AEW. This is what he said. I felt a great responsibility. Like part of these guys' careers and success were in my hands. The music now in WWE and in AEW, I'm sorry if this is mean, it's all really homogeneous, and I don't know if I pronounced that right, I apologize. And really mediocre. And it doesn't have anything to do with the characters. And I think that's why there are less big stars. I don't think there there are no potential big stars on the rosters hiding there. Before Steve Austin was Steve Austin, he was the ringmaster. And there, and there are lots of stories like that. These people need the right storyline, the right costuming, and definitely the right music to lift them up. And look... Jim Johnson ain't lying about that. He's, like, he's speaking facts. Like, some of the music in AEW is either hit or miss for me. Like, I think the only one that really fit with me was Brody Lee's theme. Because I really loved, I loved it. It really fits his character. I would also say Omega too, because it's really catchy. But, um, I still prefer his New Japan theme. J- just saying. WWE, they have a lot of generic fucking music that is so bad that it really doesn't help get anybody over. Some of the music is great. Some of the music is great, but some of them are just... How does this fit Nikki Cross? Like, let's use Nikki Cross as an example. Like, they gave her a new theme that just did not fit Nikki Cross's persona. And it just made me question, why is she... Why is she coming out to this theme, you know? Don't even get me started with Keith Lee. Like, he had a great theme, Limitless. And when they get when he gets called up to the main roster, they changed it because reasons. Like, come on. Come on. You, you gotta do better than that. Well, like I said, some of the music in WWE and AEW, they are either good or just meh. Some of them are on the meh territory. But, um, Jim also talked about the handshake deal while in WWE, and he said for the first 15 years, maybe longer, Vince and I just had a handshake agreement. I wasn't an employee. It wasn't like he didn't want me as an employee, or I didn't want to be. 
It's just, we were fine with the way things were. It wasn't until the company went public. And it was bring it was bring on the lawyers. They come in and do risk assessments. They're like, this guy can just walk out and work for the NFL tomorrow. That, would, that wouldn't be a good thing. So then I got a contract and became an employee. And my... And in my admiration for Vince, I think we would have worked until my last day with a handshake and both be perfectly happy. He also talked about the process of writing a new theme. Now, this is for all you musicians out there. Listen to this. I never really got the whole lot of information. If I could see any video that helped tremendously, where'd I start? I want to know the basic tempo and vibe. If it's a giant guy, it's going to be a slower theme. The tempo reflects he's a big guy. The guys that are smaller, you want to reflect the energy. You start there and just try to find something that resonates. I just start playing stuff and something will make me go, that's it. Um, <clears throat> the final theme song he wrote for WWE and the personal meaning behind it, which was, of course, Baron Corbin, End of Days. I wrote a few, quite a few things, but they weren't being used because I was being politically squashed. It was end of days for Baron Corbin, which was very appropriate. If you look at the lyrics, there's a lot, there's always something personal to the theme. A lot of the times it's very personal. Baron's was purely an epic. I'm bringing end of days to on you. It's very biographical. Also, I'm talking about the end is coming. I'm bowing out. The big goodbye was my end of days. There was a lot of stuff in there. Anger and disappointment. But that happened a lot. I wrote No Chance in Hell. Where I was really angry with Vince. It was literally telling what I saw. You have no chance against this guy. He doesn't play by the rules. Like if you want to listen to this entire interview. Go on Chris Van Vliet's YouTube channel. It's up there. It's like an hour long. He even, I think he even played the Undertaker's theme, which, like, it just, I would just scream as, a, like, a kid, because it was so good, but some of the things, like, he mentioned AEW and WWE's music, I mean, like he said, it's either mediocre, and some of them are good, I'm not gonna lie, for me personally, some of them are good, but he talked about the meaning behind end of days for Baron Corbin. I, I'm very surprised that um, this was him saying, this is my big goodbye. This is my last song to you. And it's just something that was very personal. And he also wrote no chance in hell, which is, he said when I was really angry with Vince and lo and behold, it's an anthem now for Vince. But if you want to listen to the interview, really good stuff. Jim Johnson is incredible, in my honest opinion. He made music feel important when it comes to an entrance theme in pro wrestling. And nobody can outdo him. And I'm being completely honest with you guys. Now let's listen to this story. Andrade is going to be wrestling in July. Against who, you may ask? And it's somebody that I just don't even... That I just question why. Now... On July 31st, there will be a pro wrestling event in McAllen, Texas. And he will be wrestling former WWE champion Alberto Del Dipshit. 
Why, Alberto Del Rio? Literally, can it be somebody different besides Alberto Del Rio? And that event will also feature Kalisto, Primo, and Epico. So, like, yeah, Andrade's first match will outside of the WWE will be against Alberto Del Dipshit. Oh, joy. I was hoping for someone different. But anyway, let, let's talk about Drake Warts. And yeah, this guy is not liked backstage. So if you don't know what's going on, Drake Warts, who works for WWE as a referee on the NXT brand, has been known to be controversial due to his actions outside of the ring. It turns out he had his duties uh, reduced in recent months. Fightful Select reports that Daryl Sharma has taken the role with head of the head referee in NXT. Excuse me. Which Warts once was. Drake Warts has been cons- considered to fill the role of timing matches with NXT, but it was given to Scott Armstrong, who had been furloughed for a brief time. But Road Dog was the instrument was instrumental in getting his brother back into the fold. Now Warts was also not offered the backup timing position, which can also lead to doing the timing of matches for 205 Live. Um, <clears throat> but D.A. Brewer has taken over those duties. Now, it was stated per FIFO that uh, Wurtz was either formally or informally suspended earlier in 2021 and wasn't allowed at the Capitol Wrestling Center for a better or for worse for a short period of time. Last November... For those who don't know why he's not well-liked by some people in WWE, he took to Instagram to respond to allegations that he is a supporter of the Proud Boys and QAnon. It started when David Bixenspan posted an article that features screenshots showing words on Parler supporting posts from the Proud Boys group. The group described themselves as Proud Western Chauvinists who referred to who refused to apologize for creating the modern world. When this article came out, it was stated that several higher-ups in WWE were horrified by what they read. On Wednesday, a video of Wards giving a speech on the county commissioner's meeting backstage made its way online, and he was backstage at NXT's event on Wednesday while giving the speech. The meeting was about mask mandates, and he made a case, according to him, get this, why mandates makes child sex trafficking easier. When he returned to the Capitol Wrestling Center, where WWE airs NXT TV, it was said that he had subdued many mannerisms that got him substantial heat with many. Those in NXT, according to Fightful, following up, saying, are surprised he's still employed, and some fear that his radical beliefs may have helped him from being fired. And if WWE doesn't want any publicity, like, get rid of the guy. You talk about spring cleaning with 10 wrestlers, right? That you're not even using. How about get rid of somebody that's controversial? Why can't we get rid of Jackson Riker? Hmm? Why can't we fire Velveteen Dream? You ain't doing shit with him. Let him go. You don't want another Fire Velveteen Dream hashtag starting if you're doing these fucking spring cleanings. Get rid of Drake Warts as well. Because, like, 
he needs to be let go. He needs to be let go. I don't care if he's been doing a he's been a referee for many years. Let him go, because honestly, you don't want bl- bad publicity coming out of your company. Seriously, you can try and do all the PR stuff all you want, but dude, like if that was me, like if I was working for WWE, if I owned the company, he would be on the chopping block. Like, you don't do that backstage when we're working an event. Like, you don't... And for him to say, oh, it's going to make sex trafficking, child sex trafficking easier. Like, are you fucking serious? Like, it's, he's one of those conspiracy guys. So, and I just hope that they don't use him that much anymore. To the point that they have to let him go. Literally. Like, it's a shitty thing. That he's doing. And the fact that he still has a job. Is a sin. Let him go. Seriously let him go. Just find someone else. To take over his duties. Which you guys have already done. Now. Let's move on to the next story. I found this story out while I was streaming. uh, Fall Guys on Wednesday. We got new roles. For both Jason Jordan. And Adam Pierce. Think of it as a promotion. PW Insider, they reported that um they've had a new report about WWE making various changes to several departments in the company as part of the retooling done by WWE president Nick Khan. No relation to Tony Khan. Mark Carano, who has been gone due to the trash bag incident with Mickey James, has been second in command to John Laurinaitis in talent relations department. WWE referee John Cohn, who has been working in the department in addition to his referee gig, is now in that spot and the right-hand man to Laurinaitis. At least one or two people have been added to the department. Once Laurinaitis was moved to that department, these changes were there were changes made to the ranks of producers. It was said Jordan had been given new roles and larger responsibilities as he took over Laurinaitis's uh former role as lead producer. This means he is overseeing all the other producers at events. These producers help wrestlers and put their matches together. And Adam Pierce got a new role as well. And same report from PW Insider that his he's moved up in terms of responsibilities behind the scenes as his new title is Director of Live Events. In the past, WWE had this person in, had the person in this role oversee live events and touring creative and lineups. Thus, this is another sign WWE is moving closer to hosting live events and continuing their preparation regarding strategies um, <clears throat> to return to touring. Michael Hayes has been in the role in this role, but since the shutdown due to COVID-19, he has been producing main event angles and storylines for Roman Reigns on SmackDown. Now, it should be noted that Pierce is still a producer and helping other producers with their matches. So, I mean, that's a nice gig. That's a nice gig, but like I said, and I told one of my friends, that everything falls into the hands of Vince McMahon. It falls into one man in charge. And like I said, it's Vince. And that's, um, oh, that sucks. Hold on. Got another major story that's breaking that I'm just finding out now. But, um, it's a good role for Jason Jordan. 
I mean, you could focus on the youthful talent, hopefully. But like I said, the final say goes to the man in charge, and that's Vince McMahon. Plain and simple. Anyway, moving on to the next story. WWE nixed a Saudi Arabia match featuring a former superstar. And get this, this is a bizarre one. Now, for those who don't know, WWE, they have a 10-year partnership with Saudi General Sports Authority, and the company is being paid big money to host two events in the country per year. From time to time, the Saudi officials will have talent requests. Over the years, it's reported... It's been reported that they want certain talents such as The Undertaker to appear, while the others' requests have been interesting, such as wanting Yokozuna and The Ultimate Warrior to appear, even though they have died. They passed away years ago. Now, Fightful, Sean Ross Sapp, reported today that Saudi officials wanted a match with former WWE star Hornswoggle at one of the recent shows at in the kingdom. WWE went through the request and came up with the idea to use Rob to use Hornswoggle. They even bought Robbie the Giant Arajo to the event, but wasn't used. Some fans may remember Arajo as he appeared on WWE TV as JB Elf back in 2018. Um, let's see, back in 2018 of April, they WWE bought um Hornswoggle for a one-off as he worked the 50-man Royal Rumble match at the greatest Royal Rumble event. Please don't remind me of that. <laughs> Hornswoggle has been released. No, he had been released from his WWE contract in May of 2016, and he's currently working for Impact Wrestling, even though we haven't seen much of him in Impact, and recently took part in his first boxing match, which he took an L in, in that match. Just, Huh? Hornswoggle versus Robbie the Giant Arajo? What? What? How is that going to make any sense? That doesn't scream, oh, this is a big match. Oh, this is going to be something that people are going to be watching this show for. No, it's terrible. No, I'm glad that was next. And thankfully that didn't happen. Let's move on to this next story. I can't believe WWE's doing this. They're actually in talks with another wrestling promotion. Wow. I wonder why. Do you want to know who they're talking to? They're in talks with MLW Fusion about a possible working relationship. I shit you not. This is not made up. This is according to Dave Meltzer in the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. That WWE doesn't like the rep that it doesn't that it doesn't work with anyone in the modern wrestling world. Oh gee, I wonder why. The report noted that WWE is quote unquote in talks with MLW and is along the lines of the old evolved deal or to a degree the 90s ECW deal. The idea, apparently, is to get NXT talent who aren't working on TV right now to get some work. There is also the idea that it creates their own Evolve-like group as a weekly streaming show. Meltzer noted this would allow the guys to work on actual television and get more exposure than on Peacock, and also seems like they are changing and 
modernizing. Now, it would also help out the frustration among talent not being used. It was added that this idea of people seeing AEW having working relationship with the likes of NWA, New Japan, uh, Impact Wrestling, and AAA would make it seem as if WWE is not set in its old ways and uncooperative in the real world. <clears throat> what's that What's that uh, motto I said? A-E-W effect. Say it with me, guys. A-E-W effect. That's what it is. Now, it will be interesting to see whether this actually works out. I would be surprised if it does work out. I feel like they probably want to do a working relationship just to get Jacob for two. That's probably one of the reasons. Now, it should be noted that MLW's CEO, Court Bauer, did work on the creative team in WWE in the mid-2000s. Now, it would be intriguing, because look, my boy Buku Dow works there now in MLW. If Alex Zane, who is, they're not doing nothing with right now, faces off against Buku Dow, that would be fucking fantastic. But this is literally them trying to say, hey, look at us. We're working with another wrestling promotion. Like, they did it with Evolve. They bought uh, Evolve. And speaking of which, they wanted to make a current... Uh, but here's an idea for the current weekly NXT show. And this is according to Meltzer on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. And he reported that WWE is currently thinking that their new Evolve show could be a streaming exclusive program, which is something that I've been saying for a while. Somebody must be listening to me. Melissa said, and I quote, there's also the idea of creating their own Evolve-like group as a weekly streaming show, which I would not mind watching. But this would allow the guys to work on actual television and get more exposure than on Peacock and also seems like they're changing and modernizing. They want to elevate... They want to uh, elevate, alleviate the frustration of so many guys on the roster who don't get to wrestle. WWE realizes that they have some unhappy and bored NXT talent. Now they might get another vehicle to promote these stars. We will have to see what it go, what's going on when it comes to specifics. Right now, it seems there are even more plans for pro wrestling content. And you know what? Have it be like an own, own Evolve show? I think it would be pretty good. And they could use that new ring announcer for the new NXT show, which I say should be exclusive to Peacock. You don't have to put it on Wednesday to try and combat AEW because you're going to get spiked. You're going to get screwed. You're going to get chopped up in a million pieces. Now, there is no way in heck, no way in hell that... They say, let's put it on Peacock, see how it goes, see how people watch it, and I guarantee it's going to do good numbers. NXT Evolve, you can have NXT, the main championship, the women's championship, the tag team championships. You got a lot of women on that show that is not being used, and it would be a great place to showcase their abilities. That's what Evolve was there for when they had that working agreement. Some of the people in Evolve are currently in WWE right now. Keith Lee, Timothy Thatcher, Austin Theory... Just to name a few, Leon Ruff, like, it works. It works. So, that's something I would do, in my honest opinion. And I think this would be really good. I'm, I'm telling you right now. 
Now, speaking of NXT, sad news. NXT UK TakeOver Dublin has been cancelled. Something that I was looking forward to. Now, NXT UK TakeOver Dublin was slated to take place on April 26, 2020 in the 3 Arena in Dublin, Ireland and air on the WWE Network. However, last March, WWE postponed it and announced a new date and it was moved to October 25th and moved to June 30th of this year. On Friday, it was noted that the event listing on Ticketmaster and the 3 Arena in Dublin noted that the event has been cancelled. The reason for this is due to the coronavirus pandemic. It is likely that when things get back to normal, then WWE will return to the market for this show. The brand went on hiatus for several months in 2020 due to the pandemic, but WWE started taping shows at BT Sports Studios. While no fans have been allowed to attend, it airs on Peacock in the United States and the WWE Network internationally. Sad to see. Just very sad that it had to be canceled. And coronavirus had to strike again. And sadly, that's the reality. But hopefully things go back to normal. I want normalcy back. And it looks like we're getting closer to it if people do their part. So let's just hope for the best. Monday Night Raw. Oh my goodness. Where do I even begin with Raw? I said it on my stream. I'm going to say it again. Monday Night Raw is a lifeless show that, honestly, they don't know what they're doing. Like, it's so boring that I literally have it in the background on my laptop while I'm playing a game on my PlayStation 4. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. Monday Night Raw is just so insufferable to watch right now. It really is. It's boring. It's so boring. There's no life. There's no energy. There's no enthusiastic. There's no reason for me to say, hey, guys, this is a great Monday Night Raw. To the point where it's literally coming to a point where I just don't want to watch Monday Night Raw. That's how bad it is. And, like, literally, I don't want to stop because I have to record this podcast and get my thoughts about it for you guys. And I'm taking a bullet. And I know there's a lot of people who don't watch Monday Night Raw. Some people who don't know about the wrestling business. Monday Night Raw sucks. It is one of the worst wrestling shows ever. In my honest opinion. Is there some bright spots on the show most of the time? Yes. But nine times out of ten, the show is creative, like is full of creative bankruptcy. That's the best word I could describe Monday Night Raw. We open with a surprise a handicap match between Strowman and versus T-Bar and Mace. Originally, it was going to be a tag team match, but Strowman wanted to handle them themselves. And this match ended in a disqualification. Really didn't care about it. Drew came out, made the save, and this leads into a tag team match, which did not surprise me. T-Bar and Mace, they defeated Strowman and uh, Drew via countout. Post-match, Strowman laid out Drew McIntyre, and later during the show... Drew McIntyre wants a match against Strowman. And Strowman says, if I beat Drew, I get added to the triple... I get added to the WWE Championship match. Oh, joy. Oh, joy. But T-Bar and Mace, they got a count-out victory. I don't know what they got planned for them. Like, I I honestly don't know. Just call them Dijakovic and Dio Madden, please. Please. Anyway. Miss TV. The less said, the better. Long story short... 
Elias, Riker, Miz, and Morrison sing an acoustic version of Hey Hey Hop Hop, which was god-awful to my ears. Dreadful. Literally, I wrote absolutely dreadful to my ears. Damien Priest and The New Day came out, and you have a good guitar case full of tomatoes. And Arden Verk, I, I just... His commentary is not good. I'm sorry. Like, I, I know it's going to take time, but it's not good. Like, when Strowman was... Do, like, fast... Like, rewinding. When Strowman was doing the, ch- the running shoulder charge on the uh, outside, he says he needs... Strowman may need a bigger boat when it's a fucking train. Literally. But... They threw tomatoes and Virg says rotten tomatoes. Ha ha ha. Very funny. At the heels. Like, I, I don't find this funny. I, I don't find any of this entertaining. Just because, like, people were trying to say that, oh, it's it's good that they're throwing tomatoes at them. That's just not funny. It's like watching a crappy movie with a crap writing. Like, that's what it is. Like, throw to, let's throw tomatoes at Miz, Morrison, Riker, and Elias because it, people will find it funny. I didn't find this funny. Like, it was just... Like, I really muted my laptop because it was just so bad. That's how bad it was. Then we get this match. Damian Priest in the New Day. They defeated Riker, Elias, and the Miz. Less said, the better. Didn't really care about it. Sonya Deville. She's, in, she's backstage walking... Goes to the exterior door and out comes Charlotte Flair, who was suspended indefinitely, may I remind you. Back back from commercials, Sonya's in the ring and she introduces Sonya She introduces Charlotte Flair and she's out in the ring with referee Eddie Oringo. Now they showed the footage of last week and claimed that Pierce's decision to suspend Flair was rushed and other and offer Charlotte a platform to say what she's got to say. Now, Flair, she gets on the mic and apologizes to management, the WWE Universe, and Eddie Oringo for her childish ways. And she directly apologized to Eddie, and he accepts her apology. In just one week, one week, Charlotte Flair's suspension has been uplifted as Eddie accepts her apology. Now, Flair wants an apology from Eddie, even though, um, even though, let me just put it bluntly, like, he admitted that he made a mistake, like, he was in the wrong, and I, like, I gotta give props to Charlotte for rolling the R's for, or Ringo, Andrade must be teaching her very well, and he apologizes, and that was pretty much it, so the suspension indefinitely means absolute dog shit. But I did catch on to something. I did catch on to something. Um how would I put this? They walk back in gorilla position and you got Adam Pierce who is right there literally furious and about the decision and you got Sonya Deville apologizing to Pierce but Adam wasn't buying the apology. Now, Sheamus, he's out in the ring for uh, the United States champion. I'm going too fast. Let me just calm down for one second. He wasn't buying the apology. So what I'm thinking, Sonya Deville is trying to get her way in. Like, she's trying to push Adam Pearce's buttons. 
Now, if this leads to Sonya Deville returning to the ring, by all means, I hope she returns to the ring. The women's division needs Sonya Deville in the ring, not as a or WWE official, in my honest opinion. I honestly think that would work better, in my honest opinion. Like, Sonya is really great. I thought she really stood out last year. That was before the whole stalker incident with her and... Thankfully, she can put all that behind her and she can focus on herself. Like, tell me you do not want to see Sonya Deville feud with Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. That's money. I hope this leads to Sonya eventually returning. And I think this could lead to Adam Pearce potentially firing Sonya Deville from her duties. And it leads to her in-ring return. Now, that's just my hinge. Just throwing that out there. Sheamus is out in the ring. For the United States Open Challenge. And he wants somebody to step up. And out comes Humberto Carrillo. Now the match wasn't official. Because they both had a brawl. Humberto was standing tall in the end. And Sheamus was just standing there in shock. So it looks like we might be seeing that match at Backlash. MVP and Bobby Lashley came out. Lashley talks about retaining the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. Like we already know saying he'll beat Drew McIntyre again and again, but now there's a chance of a triple threat match. MVP talks about the length of the possibility of the title changing and mentions that the champ doesn't have to be pinned to drop the title. And I could see that would be a cheap way out to put the title back on Drew, which honestly, he doesn't need it. Bobby Lashley is doing the best work right now. And don't worry, we'll talk about the main event later. We had Randy Orton and Shane and uh, Matt Riddle defeating Cedric and Shelton. I just look at Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, man. I just say they could do so much more with these guys. It's so much so that they they might be on their way out of the company. In my honest opinion, they're not doing nothing with them. So why have them? Let them go. Let them go. But RK Bro, apparently a new team. Defeated Cedric and Shelton Benjamin. Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Raw Women's Champion Rhea Ripley versus Lana, Naomi, and Asuka. I did not like this match. And I'm being completely honest. Now, the only good thing I will say is Asuka. The way she sells her facial expressions, it's so good. And I also wanted to mention this. I did see Lana, Naomi, and Asuka doing their TikTok, which, look... I think Oscar is so just adorable when it comes to TikTok. They need to do more. They need to do that more often. But anyway, um, this match, you had Mandy and Dana come out with a bucket of water. They toss the bucket at Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax fucking trips and falls like a fucking goof. How is that going to get people intrigued in the women's division? Like when you're doing goofy shit like this, we get it. Mandy slipped. It's not funny anymore. You're overdoing it. Like, come on. It's not... Like, literally, it's not even that funny. It's it's just... You're doing things for your own humor. I don't find this funny at all. So, the heels won. Lana took the pin, which makes sense. Asuka didn't need to eat a pinfall. So, it was either Lana or Naomi, and it was Lana. Leg drop, and that was it. Now, backstage, you had Mandy and Dana laughing about what happened. Sonya came in, talk about, 
talking about him, what they did to Nia and Shayna. And she said that Charlotte needs an opponent. And she directly picks Mandy Rose. And it's a call and it's a callback because remember who forced Sonya Deville out of WWE? Like I'm doing this in air quote, who forced out Sonya Who forced out Sonya uh in WWE out of the company? Mandy Rose. So this was her getting a little payback. So Charlotte Flair versus Mandy Rose. Um this match was mad. Mandy got some offense. Natural selection. One, two, three, Charlotte wins. And this wasn't about the match. This was this was about her and the referee. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we get it. Like, come on. Like, give me a break. Like, they're really putting this into a storyline. In the main event, we got Braun Strowman versus Drew McIntyre. I, I did not care. Drew, Drew lost to Strowman. This is a triple threat match at Backlash. Just whatever. Whatever. Like, I would much rather Lashley and Drew again. But Strowman gets added. Whatever. But that's Raw. Boring show. Lifeless show. No care. No thoughts. No efforts. No put... Not putting any... Any care or life into that show. That... that Raw has to be two hours. I'm sorry. Raw needs to be two hours. Two hours. Plain and simple. Raw needs to get out of that three-hour mindset because three hours is just a drag, in my in my honest opinion. But that, like I said, Raw was boring. What's not boring is NXT. I thought it was a really good show, but this was just building up to uh, next week's uh, show. We open things off with a women's match between Dakota Kai and Mercedes Martinez. This was a pretty good match until um, Raquel came down and attack Mercedes via disqualification. Sometimes I just... It, let me just go on a little mini rant for one second. I'm just tired of the DQs. I'm tired of the count-out victories. Can we just have a clean victory? Can we not overdo it? Like, we get it. You want to protect them, but somebody has to eat an L. Dakota could easily eat an L. And Raquel can just attack from behind and lay out Mercedes Martinez. That's it. Now... Raquel, she beats down Mercedes post-match, and pay attention to Dakota Kai, okay? She's holding the NXT Women's Championship. She hands it to, um, she hands it to Raquel, and she's staring directly at the title. You know it's it's going to happen. I feel like Dakota's going to turn heel and leave Raquel Gonzalez, and potentially, and this is just me thinking, what if Dakota Kai actually wins the title from Raquel? It's possible. Never say never, right? Like, anything can happen. But, and I know in two weeks, Mercedes Martinez will face Raquel Gonzalez for the NXT Women's Championship. So that should be a pretty fun match. We got Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart, the women's tag team champions. They were uh, backstage since next week they will be defending their NXT Women's Tag Team titles against Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae. Ember says it's the same tricks and it's just a new day and we all know they've lost their way. They were handed uh, flowers and Frankie Monet comes in and she reads the card saying that it was from Dexter Loomis. So they're like, no, no. They were, like, giving the flowers back to each other, like, 
Like, it was like a back and forth thing. Cameron Grimes. Fucking Cameron Grimes. Who is honestly the best thing on this show. He is shopping for some bling. Like some watches. Some golden watch. And he wants the most extravagant watch in that's in the city. And the jeweler says uh, he has something for him. And fast forwarding later during the show. Grimes gets handed an extravagant watch. And we later see a cameo from Ted DiBiase. It's, it finally happened. Who just upstaged Cameron Grimes. And he has more bling than his. And I'm not going to lie. I did mark out on that. Because Ted DiBiase is amazing. Like. <laughs> like that was funny. Like. I'm Like that's humor done right. Cameron Grimes could hit a home run with that. And he's like. That damn Ted DiBiase. <laughs> really good stuff. I loved it. We had Grizzle Young Vets. Rewinding. They're in the ring. James Drake said that. It seems that MSK will compete in any sort of match except for the for the one that really matters. Except for the one that matters, the where they defend those titles against grizzled young veterans. Zach Gibson said that they're a great team, but personally, they're the two big biggest knobheads that he's ever met. He then says that they they are the leaders that this tag team scene needs desperately they're on, they're on fire, and that's going to ignite the division, and it melts a snowflakes. And so be it. We are the Grizzled Young Veterans, soon to be recognized as the next and most important, and they get interrupted by t- a returning Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa. Now, Ciampa said that I hate to be the guy who interrupts another man while he's talking, but I couldn't help but notice the similarities. And he calls... Thatcher, Toothless Timmy. I, I don't like that one. I, I really don't. I'm being completely honest with you. And, like, Timothy Thatcher and I, we're grizzled. We're veterans. You talk about wanting to be the leaders, but Toothless Timmy and I know a thing or two about being leaders. By the sound of it, we all want to face MSK and become the next tag team champions. Now, Thatcher said last time we we stepped foot in the ring with y'all, y'all happened to find a way. Hell over heels. No, no, no. That was that's Chompa saying that. Double T over here even started watching footage of y'all and ta- taking notes. And Thatcher chimes in and what did I find? A lot of strengths, but there's just one show at NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff. How did that song go? If you hate Gibson, shoes off. 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I got distracted because that is the best chant ever. I love the UK crowd. To anybody that's in the UK, that's my much love to you because you guys are the best wrestling fans out there. Y'all are creative with your chants. Y'all know how to get hyped. And just make the shows feel somewhat important. And I lo- I need to go to the UK one, one day. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, Ciampa, he took his shoe, one of his shoes off. And he hits both men in the head with the shoe. <laughs> so it looks like we're going to see Grizzled Young Vets feuding with Thatcher and Ciampa. To determine who faces MSK for the NXT Tag Team titles. So that should be pretty fun. Isaiah Swerve Scott. Oh my goodness. I love this new attitude of Isaiah Swerve Scott. 
He should be pushed to the moon. No offense to Cameron Grimes. He is in the radio recording studio, and he says Leon Ruff is a coward for blindsiding him. He says he thought about this, and he really thought about this, and he was actually proud of him. Now, Swerve said that he didn't think, think that you had it in you, and it's obvious the ring can't contain us anymore. So he says since the ball is in his courts, he wants a Falls Count Anywhere match. And that is going to happen next week. And I'm looking forward to this. I think that's going to be really good. Tony Storm versus uh, Zeta Ramir, formerly known as AQA from Reality of Wrestling. Now, I don't know what's going on with Tony Storm. I'm being completely honest with you. She's one of my favorites. She's currently feuding with Zoe Starks. And just by looking at this, I, I could see where where the direction is going. Tony Storm has not won a single match this year alone. Now, she had the match won o- over Ramir, right? But she gets this... She's like... She had her in the Storm Zero. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to make her life a living hell. Goes on the top. She puts on the top. Out comes Zoe Stark. She's distracted by her. And... Uh, Zeta Ramir knocks her down and she hits a nice looking shooting star press. That shooting star press was great. I'm not going to lie. It was great. She was gliding. And she beats Tony Storm, gets the upset victory. So I don't know what's going on with Tony. Is she getting called down, which I put zero trust in this company to book Tony Storm as a top star? Like, or they just don't have any plans for her. Maybe it's because the heel run is not working. Like, that's just how I see it. I don't think Tony Storm as a heel is clicking. Just gonna have to wait and see. We have Bronson Reed versus Austin Theory. The stipulation was that if um, Bronson Reed wins, he gets another shot at the NXT North American Championship against Johnny. This was overbooked. I'm not gonna lie. It was overbooked. You had Dexter Loomis... Coming in, talk, trying to talk to, well, not talk, trying to get Indy Hartwell's attention. Indy's saying, you talk too much, you talk too much. She actually, he actually shoved Indy to the side to take the hit from Austin Theory. And, and it plays a part in what happens later in the women's match, which we will get into. We had um, Bronson Reed hitting a tsunami splash, which was it's something that I don't ever want to take. Bronson Reed gets the win. He challenges uh, Johnny Gargano for the NXT uh, championship at his time. At his time. So we're just going to have to wait and see what's next. When that happens, I don't know. But I think Bronson Reed needs to win the title. What's next for Johnny to do? Bronson would be a perfect NXT North American champion. That's just how I see things. We got Imperium taking on Killian Dane and uh, Drake Maverick. Now there was this nice, there was a nice callback that I caught my eye on. Alexander Wolf, he had a chair, right? He he wanted he he was trying to hit Killian Dane, but I had Sanity flashbacks because they were part of Sanity at the time. So he felt conflicted, but he didn't do it. But Imperium, they got the win, rightfully so. Drake Maverick took the pinfall, which was a 
alright match. It was alright. Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne is backstage with this great promo that he cut. He says that everybody's talking about new opportunities, but nobody's mentioning my name. And that's because I got the whole locker room shook. That title is mine any time that I want it. Or maybe I'll go home and take back the title I made famous. Gargano, you step to me and we know how it ends. Bitter end. Cross. You don't intimidate me. I don't need smoke and mirrors. When I walk in the room, the mood changes. I'm the baddest man in NXT. Try to prove me wrong. I dare you. That was a great promo by Pete Dunne. And who knows? He might go after one of those titles. He might go after one of those titles. Pete Dunne is so damn good. And some people were saying if Daniel Bryan loses on SmackDown, he could go to NXT and feud with Pete Dunne, which, quite frankly, that would be one of the best technical wrestling matches ever. Ever. But we'll see where that goes. Jessica Kamea and Aaliyah versus Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. This match did not happen. Candice and Indy attacked the champs. And this is just a simple bait and switch, which NXT should not be doing. Like, if you hype, if you advertise the match, fucking do the match. Plain and simple. Like, you could save the beat down. Like, have this be a quick win for Ember and Shotzi. And you have Candice and Indy lay them out. They attacked... Now, they attacked um, both of them... With, well, Indy attacked them with flowers that was given to them, which pretty much to- gives the way that Candice was the one who gave those flowers in the fake card to them. And I don't know where this is leading to. You had Jesse Kamea and Aaliyah posing with the tag titles, thinking that they wanted, which they didn't. It ended in a no contest. It really did. Like, this match wasn't even needed, to be quite honest. Adam Cole, Bebe, is interviewed by Arash Mar- Markazi. Now, he talked about saying that he's been better. For sure, I've also been worse. When you look back at my 403 reign as NXT champion, the war games I went through, the broken wrists, whether I'm 100% or not, I'm better than the rest of that roster. True. Listen, I know you're new around here, he tells uh, Arash, around, but I don't make mistakes. I make decisions. He talks about carrying not just Undisputed Era, but NXT on his back for the last four years. And as far as I'm concerned, he says, they turn their backs on me. People get so excited at every turn to say, this is going to be the next big thing in NXT. He said Kyle got lucky at TakeOver and he's going to listen to people saying he's ready for that main event spot. He says he's not. I know the anxiety that he's dealing with. I know that he's not sure if he's ready for the main event. He's definitely not ready to be NXT champion, says Adam Cole. It's very real. As long as I'm in NXT, he's never taken my spot. The NXT championship picture has always been one of the most competitive divisions on the planet. He puts over Karrion Cross saying he's good. Is he great yet? I don't know. The first time he became champion, that freak injury, was it a freak injury or was he not ready? And he says if and when I decide to go after championships for Karrion Cross, the clock's ticking. Where I go next is none of your damn business. 
I'm upset. People think Kyle O'Reilly is going to replace me. But whatever I, wherever I go, Adam Cole is going to be the best damn Adam Cole that anybody has ever seen. And I can promise you that. Really great promo by Adam Cole. And he walks out of the interview and we see backstage at the Capitol Wrestling Center. Kyle O'Reilly was watching the interview and he was disgusted. So I don't know if this feud is going to lead to... Like, I don't know where this is going to lead to, but we're going to have to wait and see. We get a vignette of something called Diamond Mine. I don't know if this is a tag team. I don't know if it's somebody new debuting coming soon. Part of me think it's Parker Bordeaux. I don't know why. I feel like it's Parker Bordeaux. I, I just don't know. Maybe it's Christian Casanova and or Blake Christian or something. I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. And in our main event, we had Legato Del Fantasma taking on MSK and Kushida. This was a fine match. A fine main event match. The heels won. Um, and they posed with the, the champs' titles to close out the show. So, overall, NXT I thought was very good. There are some things I like. Some things that they have to avoid. And, um, yeah. I think that's that. That's NXT. Now, I did watch NXT UK, and one of the matches I was looking forward to was Valkyrie versus Mako Satomura. That was a really fun match, um, but the streak, her undefeated streak, is now over. Um, Valkyrie lost her first NXT UK match to Mako Satomura. You lost to the final boss, but it was a really good match. I'm not going to lie. Check it out. It's on Peacock if you listen to the United States, and it's on the WWE Network if you listen internationally. Just watch that match, and you'll thank me later. Really great stuff. Finally, we talk about SmackDown, which was mostly built around Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. It was pretty much wrestlers giving their predictions on who would win in the main event, but we did have some matches on the show. Like, and I'm just really excited to talk about the main event. I'm being completely honest with you. But we open with Bianca Belair. And she gets on the mic. She pretty much introduces us to SmackDown. Gets interrupted by Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, or the Dirty Dogs is what they call them. And they talked about being the best around, who then get interrupted by the Street Profits. This cliche just never gets old, does it? And then they get interrupted by Bailey. Because, why not? And she just laughs um, at Bianca. And then we got a huge brawl. Then this leads to an intergender six-man tag. Bailey and the Dirty Dogs versus Bianca Belair and the Street Profits. This was um, an okay match, I guess. But I will say this. Every time I look at Montez Ford, when he does that frog splash, it is a thing of beauty oh my a god but the tag team champions they get pinned which likely means we're gonna get a rematch between them at backlash who knows maybe it's a triple threat i don't know so this was an okay match we had Daniel Bryan being interviewed by Kayla Braxton. He says he's at peace with his decision to put his SmackDown career on the line against Roman Reigns. Uh, and he's, he's confident that he's going to tap him out again tonight. 
And his first title defense, if he wins, will be somebody who's waited far too long for an opportunity, referring to Cesaro. Fast forwarding a little bit, we had um, Nia and Shayna taking on Natalia and Tamina. This match, I, I just, I, I don't care. I'm sorry. I, I did not care about this match at all. And to the surprise of no one, Shayna Baszler gets pinned. I ask, why? By Tamina. So, I don't know what story they're trying to tell with the women's tag team titles. Are, are you trying to say that, like, are you telling me that they're dealing with Mandy and Dana's shenanigans, and now they're dealing with Tamina and Natalia? So, I don't know where this match is going. Maybe it's a triple threat? I don't know, and honestly, I just don't give a shit. And I'm being completely honest with you. We get another Alice. We get an Alistair Black promo, and look, I'm just happy to see where Alistair Black. I don't know where this this whole uh, about the true nature of man and reality thing. This is this was the next chapter. I don't know where this is gonna go, but all I want is to see him back in the ring. That's all. So, moving on, we had the Intercontinental Championship match. Between Apollo and Biggie, which was an alright match. But the thing that I hate the most is the match ending in a disqualification. And I think I know where this is gonna go at um Backlash. And no, I'm not calling it WrestleMania Backlash. It's not needed to be called WrestleMania Backlash. So Biggie hit the big ending. He was about to win. Commander Aziz um literally grabbed Biggie and attacked him, which calls for the DQ. So Kevin Owens came in, made the save. We got Sammy coming in with the Haluva kick to KO. Sammy's holding the Intercontinental Championship, so it looks like we're getting the fatal four way for the uh, Intercontinental Championship at Backlash. I think that's the direction they're gonna go with. And like like I said, th- these DQs. And these countouts are overdone. Like, like we need to see less of that in WWE, please. Like, that's all I got to say about that match right there. And our main event, well, before we get to the main event, Paul Heyman, man. Like, I got to say this about Paul Heyman. When he cuts a promo, you stop what the fuck you're doing. And you listen to Heyman. Because my god, man. Heyman is just absolutely fantastic when it comes to promos. Like, I could listen to I could listen to him cut a promo on anybody on the roster. That's how great he is. Like, and I'm being completely honest. That is how great he is. And just, l- let me just... Say Paul Heyman says that he's sick of having hearing Daniel Bryan his name, and he says that Bryan has had a Hall of Fame career and has achieved everything and has overcome all odds against him. Heyman says that the fans are saying that this is Daniel Bryan's night and that Daniel Bryan will not survive the Tribal Chief and Daniel Bryan will not be on SmackDown. That's pretty much a quick summary on um the promo which was great then the main event Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan 
first things first, it's about time that Roman Reigns got a new theme music. Now, I've seen people on social media and I've seen people on Discord have, because I'm, I have a lot of, I'm on a lot of Discords and some people have mixed feelings about it. Like, I thought it was pretty good, in my honest opinion. It's about that time they shed that old Roman Reigns theme and they gave him something new to fit his new character. Now, and I know that's how I feel about it, but some people might think differently. This match was fucking fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Daniel Bryan working on the on the shoulder to prevent the guillotine choke. And he's working on the leg. You have the powerhouse that is Roman Reigns. Like, I loved where he did an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. And he just tossed Bryan like a rag doll. He tried to go for a spear, but he speared himself through the barricade. Which was fucking brutal. Daniel Bryan literally had the yes lock literally applied. And I thought, oh my goodness, is this really going to happen? But my instance says, nope. Like, there's no way you're taking the title off of Roman Reigns. And that's what happened. Roman did not drop the title. He actually retained with the guillotine choke as Brian passed out. Yes, he did. He didn't tap. He passed out. So, and Brian will no longer be on SmackDown. We'll get to that later. Cesaro comes in after Roman sets him up for his concertos. European uppercut. He just literally came as a, like a hidden missile. Just European uppercutted him. Jey Uso came in, super kicked him, and tied him to the ropes and watched as Roman hit the concertos on Daniel Bryan to close out SmackDown. This was a great way to close the show. Now... Where does Daniel Bryan go from here since he's no longer on SmackDown? Now, many people are saying um, that he might be on Raw, which literally I could see. And the only advantage I could see him on Raw is that they need baby faces, top baby faces, big time, because you're not going to rely on a Drew McIntyre. WWE has literally no top baby face on Monday Night Raw on the main title picture. Now, my selfishness in myself would say he should go to NXT. Think of the fucking matches he could have. Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano, Kushida, fucking, um, like, literally, my gut instincts wants him to go to NXT. Ciampa, Thatcher, Isaiah Swerve Scott, Austin Theory, uh, Timothy Thatcher. Like, I could go on and on because NXT has some great men on that roster that Brian could face. And the only advantage I could see is that people will watch because of Daniel Bryan and he might be a draw. That's pretty much one of the reasons. So, like, tell me you don't want to see a feud between Johnny and uh, Daniel Bryan, even without a title, because I feel like Bronson Reed needs to win the NXT North American Championship. I think that would be great. Daniel Bryan and and Johnny Gargano in a takeover match? That's that's main, that's main event worthy. Sign me the fuck up. Daniel Bryan versus Karrion Cross. Daniel Bryan versus Adam Cole. Again. Daniel Bryan versus Kyle O'Reilly. Like, come on. That's, that's the positive in this. Bryan versus Balor. Like, that's... 
Like, you get great matches in NXT. The only advantage Raw has is that they need top baby faces. And it will not surprise me if they move Daniel Bryan to Monday Night Raw. And the only and that's the only baby face they got. And he, I could potentially see him take the title off of Lashley. That's the best way I could say it. But this main that main event delivered, and delivered it did. I would I would be floored if anybody had anything bad to say about this match. This was great. This was great. Roman Reigns. I I, I gotta give him props, man. This is the Roman Reigns we should have had years ago. And he just shed the shield stuff. And it's all in the past. Passe. And look at him now. He is the best thing on SmackDown. And I stand by that. Like, I don't even think he should drop... Like, if Roman drops the title, it should be against someone who is literally ready for that position. But I, I don't see Roman dropping the Universal Championship anytime soon. I'm just being real. So, like, that's that. That SmackDown, which I thought was mostly built around Roman and Daniel, which is the only best thing I loved about the show. Like, that was, and again, SmackDown delivered with that main event. And you want me to be real, SmackDown was better than Monday Night Raw. That's all I could say. But anyway, I am getting out of here, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Make sure you leave a positive feedback and... Make sure you're notified. That way you can know when the episodes are posted. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at ShinoDPhoenix. Follow me on Instagram, CoolManSip. Like the Facebook page. And follow me on Twitch at at ShinoPhoenix. And join my Discord if you want to. Because it's a lot. It's just so much fun down there. And I do have a TikTok, which is gaming related. So if you want to see me on TikTok, follow me, Shino D Phoenix. And that's pretty much that. So until then, take care. Be safe. I will see you guys next time for episode 115. And this Phoenix flies off. Talk to y'all later. Peace out.